Good morning. If you actually hear me, do you hear me? Ah. Uh -huh. Okay. I'm going to give it one more try. It probably works if you unmute microphones. I was going to arrange my gallery so that everybody in a black T-shirt was up at the top, but I couldn't see the entire top side of this. This is. <laughs> this is well, how about this? Are you getting anything off of this second? Yes, it's low. Okay. Ah, but you hear me, right? That's a good start. Well, there is signal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Unmuting definitely helps. Okay. Let's see if, oh, wow. Did I nail it right there? Let's see. It looks like uh, I should be because I'm going to be really excited if I talk about this mic. So no, a little bit more. Okay. How about this? Is this my lucky number if I get right in there? And hey, George, by the way, and I'm going to see if there's a blue pill for this microphone problem. No, 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 no. Let's see. Let's not go there. Right on. And let's see if this is finally the level where I need to be if we get to this. By the way, I, I was just guessing. I, I assume we are maybe uh, going to go through different microphones. Is it live or try is them. it Memorex? Uh, we will be talking about them. I don't know. It depends entirely on audience questions. So check the voting questions this morning and see if anybody's interested in asking about different mics. If we go through the panel and at least say what we have, then maybe people will have... Uh, questions about that specific microphone or i could maybe set them up so i do like the are we broadcasting in stereo by the way i never i paid think attention. we are so i can if i start mixing i can do like the asmr like you know right channel left channel mic and all that cool stuff okay so i think let me just check one more time normal talking into this microphone i say lots of cool stuff and i think this is probably okay a little bit one more, but okay, thank you. I just checked the stereo audio mode, and so if we are really in stereo, I guess you guys would still hear it on, well, I don't, I don't know. Wait, if you'll hear the stereo panning. No, in it's in stereo. I'm, I'm, it, it just moved to the left and right. Gotcha. Good job. Are there any plans to do a second hour on spectral frequency analysis for testing audio chains? At this point, I don't think anybody's talked about it, but put it in the second hour Discord as a suggestion. Maybe people will be really interested in that. Yeah, Adobe Audition has a really good spectral view. You can basically do Photoshop for audio and paint over stuff. It's kind of neat. Oh yeah, and anyone with an X32 can can basically do it in real time. That's cool. Very cool. I would love it if Pro Tools got that spectral analysis tool. Oh, they re-released Spectre, by the way. Still, oh, that's for a, a very long time, my very favorite of, um, you know, you could actually chart every channel. And, um, oh, boy, is it a nice little piece. Um, Jason, what was the problem? They they had it. It was a leader in that kind of spectral analysis. Yeah, they were purchased. Then it went away. Uh, yeah, oh, they, they got purchased and, and they, you know, they were reworked. But, yeah, yeah I it's, wondered it's why totally it available. For years. Get a nice discount if you bought it before, too. Bill Lear invented the A-Track. Jason, who makes that app? Uh, I'll catch you on Discord.
Hi, everybody. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and virtual production. And the second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. We've got a couple uh, inexpensive mics here that we'll compare to slightly more expensive mics and to see how they sound. And we'll talk about it in general. It's a good opportunity for us to talk about mics. So, uh, so there'll be more microphone discussion in the second hour. Let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Bill, what do we've got? Our first one comes from Andy Kokendorfer today from Vieira, Florida. And Andy asks, how much CPU and or RAM is needed to run an NDI discovery server? One gigabyte e-nick e enough? Thanks. Uh, go ahead, Guy. Yeah, it's super lightweight. You don't need much of anything. You could use an old computer. I'm not sure what the exact specs are, but I use a laptop that's probably 10 years old. It, it's all it's doing is data. So there's no video that actually passes through, no audio that actually passes through. It's just a database that just says, here's a listener and uh, here's a receiver. So you're you're basically just creating a directory. That's all an NDI discovery server is. So you put it on the network and then in uh, NDI access manager on the other machines, you can go in and type that discovery uh, server's IP address and it'll look at that directory and point to it and say, okay, here's, here's cameras, here's uh, vMix, here's all your ins and outs and it's uh, really cool to have because it, it makes it so you don't have to use MDNS. And that's where a lot of people run into problems with uh, NDI is uh, the NDI doesn't pass through all the different devices on your network, depending on how it's configured. So I highly recommend anybody that's doing NDI for any kind of production to use an NDI discovery server, even on an old machine. It runs on Linux, uh, runs on uh, Windows, but it does not run on a Mac. Next question. Next one comes from Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. And Mike says, morning, guys. Would the Blackmagic Cloud pod be a good network connection to get ISO recordings from camera directly to a Synology NAS? If not, any better suggestions? Um, I, just, I just raised my hand for no reason. Um, the Cloud pod network connection to get, I don't know if that's the how it's designed. Um, let me sorry, I gotta fix that. Um, I uh, connection to an ISO recording from cameras directly. I don't think that that's how I would use that. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I would say almost certainly no. Um, the easiest possible way to do this, other than you know, getting it. This wouldn't be, you know, in the field, but um, there's an automatic transfer app that you you basically just plug in your camera and it will do an automated copy sequence and, you know, even rename directly if you can plug it directly into the NAS. Yeah. Other than that, you might as well just use their app and and set up a backup um, task. Yeah, I, I guess what I would say, well, it took me a couple of times to read it. Um, I would not get fancy about how I record cameras from uh, anything. <laughs> so, so I think that that I think that that's the the thing that I would say there is that I'd be very careful about trying to record cameras directly to a um, to a network attached storage unless I really tested that heavily um, and really had a system that was built for that. It's you know because that's the, that's your record. So I'd much rather do something to a local drive and then f figure out as Jason was talking about copy the files from that local drive over um, before I tried to use a NAS. I mean, I, I we do this, we, we've done it, but we do it with really expensive equipment <laughs> and we test it a lot. And then even then we record on the cameras because it's just a, you know, going recording over the network. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. 
Um, next question. Joe Swan in Houston, Texas is up next. And Joe says, why did Zoom change the option for allowing original sound to be on by default for a selected microphone source? It's now requiring us to toggle on the setting per meeting. And is there any workaround for this? Go ahead, Mitchell. John, we don't know for sure, uh, but we can speculate. And I think the speculation would indicate that because the sign says original sound for musicians, which was added, that they may have had a lot of people uh, pressing that original sound on as something that was good, not realizing that they were getting rid of all that uh, uh, Zoom goodness for uh, getting rid of noise. So that's our only guess as to why they did it. Um, we're hoping that they'll provide the ability to bypass that default setting because right now it defaults every time you move from one room to another. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I haven't found a way around this. I, I heard from someone and I don't remember who that the Zoom IT installer had some special flag you could set to force it. And sadly, when I looked at the documentation, there was nothing there. So there's no solution at the moment. I think right now, yeah, I think they want you to be conscious about doing it because it does, re there are many things, even Mike's within our own community, <laughs> that, that probably need uh, to turn off original sound. So, you know, we used to say automatically, turn on your original sound. Um, we don't say that anymore because there are people with a lot of noise or they have, um, you know, something going on with their their mics, something going on with what they're doing. And so it doesn't necessarily make sense to, to leave it on. So I think that they want you to consciously be thinking about it going, oh, I need to turn that on. The, the, the bug that I've seen a couple times and I can't quite find it to be predictable is it turning off in the middle of the show. You know, so in the middle of the show, suddenly I look up and it's, I turned it on and it's off. So I, I think that that's the thing that I'm, I'm curious about. Um, I do wish that I could set it up as a personal user saying I want to always be on, I just always want to be on uh, original sound. And I do think that we should, as a user preference, be able to set that so that I never have to to deal with it again. But but I, I, I can see why they probably do it because it probably fixes a lot of things for many people. <laughs> we just need a toggle that allows us to, to keep that going. Now, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I think that uh, there was a rumor going around, uh, Alex, that you were going to bring us all together to uh, write a support ticket at the same time. Yes, and I think that we, I think that next <laughs> next week we're going to brainstorm on support tickets. So, um, so the you know, like there's going to be a support ticket brainstorm uh, of all the things that we want to do uh, uh, in different things. I think we're going to merge it with talking about future episodes, but I think we're going to cut out a section of the hour to talk about in this area what not just with Zoom, but with lots of other companies. Like, what do we want to ask for? And then we'll start doing it as a group. And so we'll, we'll see if, if we can't move things along. Uh, next question. Mitchell Hill in Wilmington, Delaware is up next. And he asks, what's the best way to remove a drone shadow from my footage? Go ahead, Jesse. Adobe moved their content fill tools over from Photoshop to After Effects. And this is the first place I would try to remove that drone. If you're flying over something like sand, you're going to have a really easy go of it. If you're flying over crowds of people who are moving or dancing or something, it's going to be a bit tougher to remove that drone. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, the crowd of people isn't as hard as long as they're doing something randomly. If it's uh, one or two people doing something uh, it's a, it's it can be an issue because essentially what you're doing if you're in Premiere for example you're drawing a mask and then you're slipping the uh, uh, the, the part underneath the mask slightly in time to uh, pull some of the previous footage in over the uh, current footage and that gets the mask out. Uh, the best way to do it is an After Effects with Mocha Pro. You can uh, you can track that uh, particular shadow and then you can uh, hit remove on Mocha and it's gone. Go, Jason. 
I didn't realize that the, that he answered his own question. This is an important thing. Other than wind speed, the shadow and the position of the sun is pretty much the most important thing. Um, you know, other than like how quickly you're going to move the camera, uh, that you really need to be thinking about all the time, anytime you're shooting anything aerial. But yeah, track and dodge. Uh, good though. And I know you said what is the best way, and those ways are much better. But if all else fails, you can move to the classic technique of rotoscoping. It is time consuming and a mess, but it's painting the drone shadow out of each individual frame in the context of where it is. It's time consuming, but it sometimes is the best solution if that's not too long a piece of footage. Uh, yeah, and there's um, there's some also some smart removal tools inside of uh, Resolve that you may want to look at as well inside of Fusion. Uh, next question. David Paskin from Miami, Florida, here on the panel says, is there any update on the Mukana Light Zoom app? And he notes, he's sorry, he forgot the name. We're very close to releasing it. Um, the main thing that we're going to do is it's, when it comes out, it's really going to be focused on the panelists. So what we're really trying to fix is the idea that when we bring in a panelist or bring in a guest, they don't have to log into anything else. We just send them something and they pop in. And so they see the they see the questions coming down and they can vote on them. And so that's what that's our first step into that. And we're very very close to releasing. So stay tuned. Next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. I currently have a 64 gigabyte iPhone S, a 6S Plus, and I'm looking at upgrading to the Pro or Pro Max. What would be a reasonable upgrade in storage capacity? I mainly play music from Apple Music, but I'm interested in getting into more video and or LiDAR work. Javier? I normally um, tell people to double their storage uh, unless they are under 50% of their usage. But coming from an 6S that's like seven years old to a, let's say, 13 or 14 Pro Max, uh, you're going to get a lot of tons, uh, new feature like 4K HDR that use a lot of storage. So I would advise 256 at least. Good, Jason. Yeah, I'm going to double that. I would I would not touch an iPhone with less than 512 because you will be shocked at how quickly if you actually use the iPhone 14 Pro's um, you know, to its fullest capacity, which I would assume you are paying for it for that reason, then uh yeah, you're going to get rid of space real quick. I go Mitchell. Douglas, this is a success. I, I have one also. Here's the thing you're going to give up though. You're going to give up your headphone jack. So be aware <laughs> of that when you make your move. <laughs> Good, uh, Alex. Yeah, I'm going to echo Jason's thoughts. I thought 500 gigs would be enough uh, for shooting ProRes until I went on vacation and uh, storage just disappeared. Yeah, I, I always buy, I, I nowadays, ever since ProRes came out, I just buy the biggest drive, the, you know, the biggest amount, of, the most amount of storage I can get because uh, I can fill it up so very, very quickly. And so you fill it up and then you have to dump it. And so... Um, you don't, you know, so that's been the other thing that will eat up your drive really quickly are the 48 megapixel raw images, which I shoot a lot for photogrammetry and they stack up there, I think a hundred plus megs each. <laughs> so, so they, you, know, you go, oh, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's a couple gigs to do one photogrammetry project. So, uh, so it does, it does stack up pretty quickly, um, in those sizes. So I would get as, as much as you can afford, you know, I think this is what I would say. Uh, next question. Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia. Is there any way to do an audio mix minus on an ATEM? I want to be able to send program video out with audio via HDMI to another computer minus the remote participant's own voice. Good morning. No, I don't believe so. If you're using, if you're doing a two-way hybrid uh, conversation, if you have remote participants, um, you really should be using a, an external audio mixer. Um, that is collecting all of your audio channels from your 
remote people and your local people, and then do your mix minuses there, feed that into the ATEM. Yeah, I go, Jason. I've never tried it, but I would assume that the ATEM Mini Extreme ISO, if you use that headphone jack, because if you look in the ATEM app, you can actually pick what the headphone hears. So ideally, um, I guess you could probably do a mix minus if you were careful. Yeah, there is a, um, I'm just trying to find it. Uh, You're thinking of SDI, I bet. No, no, no. Yeah, well, so with the, yeah, with the other, with the other switchers, not on the, on the little ATEMs, but the larger switchers, you can do a mix minus to the different, uh, to the different SDI inputs. So it it will not send, if you can have, there's a setting on the Constellation that says don't send audio back. Don't send the audio coming in from SDI three back to SDI back to that return, you know, as a return there. So, good, Mitchell. You could do something like a, a mix minus with the solo and mute buttons on the uh, audio mixer uh, side. Not, yeah, it's not really. <laughs> that would be very painful. Um, but but the uh, I I think in general I would use an external mixer. I do think that there is a mix minus built into the larger ones where, again, if you bring in, they will not send their own audio back down that the return source. Um, but I, but I haven't ever used it. I looked at it. I don't know. That's interesting, but it's not very flexible. And so I've never, never actually executed in an event. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Andy Kokendorfer in Vieira, Florida. And Andy says, anyone with experience running a TriCaster remotely via an NDI KVM thoughts? Thanks. I don't think anybody has I have to keep on doing that where I raise my hand for myself. I don't think anybody, uh, done that um you know the the main thing the ndi kvm and is that guy is that a is that a specific feature yeah so with um ndi studio monitor you could enable kvm Uh, i haven't done it on a tricaster i haven't owned a tricaster in so long Uh, and back in those days we didn't we didn't really do things remotely like we do now uh i'd probably team viewer into it and i wish jeff keithley Mm -hmm. was on the panel to answer this because i know he does it and i think he's doing it with team viewer but i'm not sure if he's using the actual ndi kvm tools right next question Douglas Carmichael's up next. He says, when you create an environment for a live and or streamed event in Unreal Engine or Unity, do you typically run it from the editor or do you build a standalone executable? How do you output a clean viewport from the Unreal Engine editor without the editor Unreal Engine or UI, without the editor user interface? Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot more Unreal. I don't know about Unity. We'll do more Unreal um, outputs soon. There is a clean output that you can output from Unreal, so you can have go out to another monitor and that's or or push that through SDI, and that's what Nick Justin I believe uses for what he's showing when he shows that thing. So it's running inside of you. It's definitely not a standalone executable because he can edit all of those things as he's working. And so, um, but it's a separate monitor output, um, and I believe that he's using an SDI out for that. Um, but we will we'll be doing more Unreal and Unity uh, in the near future. So we'll have Nick back in. Uh, make sure to bring that up. Uh, next question. Alexander Knight, Vancouver, British Columbia, up next with, I have the some Parkan lights behind me that I want to get off the floor to free up space. Looking for creative solutions from Home Depot that will allow me to use a small rig super clamp to attach them. I'll go, Jesse. I'm going to bypass the small rig super clamp and recommend um, sticker back LED strips. They are fantastic and super fun to design creative lighting around your office. All right, good, Jeffrey. So uh, I put a lot of stuff onto the ceiling that's not uh, not standard. So basically, uh, I've uh, gone and gotten the 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 curtain rods, 
And you get the, with the curtain rods, you get these little clamps. I was trying to show the clamp, but it kind of just failed. Uh, so these are uh, basically for your, uh, for your closets to put a closet rod on. They extend out to about 74, uh, 72 inches. And uh, if, you get the, uh, if you get the curtain rod clamps and you put them on the ceiling, you can, you can do that. Another thing I did, this, uh, this used to hold my PTZ camera. Uh, I actually got this at a Restore. Uh, which is uh, basically refurbished uh, refurbished products or old products that can still be used again. And uh, I put a couple uh, couple different latches on there so I could actually put my PTZ camera on and, and this one actually uh, is easy pull off so I could pull my PTZ down, take off this part and then put it back on. So a few different ways to do that. Finally, if you want to take the par can and you make sure that it's stable so if the super clamp does fall off of the rig that the whole park can doesn't go down and you do that by uh, either uh, you can zip ties you can do hanger wire you can even get those special zip ties that uh, that kind of let they, they become they can be undone so you can re uh, remove them around if you want to now go to bill um, park cans tend to be relatively large and relatively heavy. Most of the ones I've seen, because they have that kind of sealed beam light inside, are pretty robust. And they often have a uh, flimsy-ish yoke on them with a central hole in the middle. Uh, so there are, you can adapt the attachment to whatever you want. The one thing I will say is because most of them are relatively heavy, uh, I would go for something as robust as you can. I think this might be a really good place to use one of the Manfrotto auto poles. Make sure you have something stable on the two sides so they can hold a little bit of weight because par cans are usually wall washing kind of broad lights and you usually don't want to use one. You want to use three or four of them and that gets a little weight up there. So I'd be uh, careful about putting up something over the heads of people who might be in your space that isn't really stable. Go ahead, Jason. Speaking of robust and creative, in an earlier iteration of uh, of one of my studios, I actually took the um, remember the fourteen foot Sam's Club trampoline. Well, that metal that goes all the way around the trampoline, if you take the legs off and hang it from a ceiling, you have an incredibly good arc, and it is absolutely indestructible. <laughs> That's great. That's brilliant. A circular grid. <laughs> now, Alex, and you want specific like kind of point lights, right? You want something to kind of go up at certain areas, not necessarily like a like a, a string light or something like that. No, I, I mean, I have 12 parkans, so I'm not going to get rid of them. I need a way to mount them, but they're only 2.5 pounds each. They're really, really small. Right. And you want them to come from the, you still want them to, on the ground or do you want to bring them all up? No, no, I want to bring them all up because just to, they're, they're just taking up too much space on the floor of them. I think yeah, I have yeah. six of them back there. Yeah, and, and in general, you know, whenever you can build a grid, you know, it's worth it. You know, and I just have my grid is is just on four C-stands, you know, that I can bring up and down. Um, I, I, um, I keep on threatening to hang it from the ceiling, but uh, I, need a, I need a ladder big enough <laughs> to get a little tall enough to get to my ceiling. And so haven't gotten to that yet, but, um, but it, it definitely... Uh, grids just change the way you light, you know, so you can keep on doing something that specifically handles a specific problem, or you have something that's super flexible. And, and I think Bill has shown in the past a really flexible system, but even mine, which is all just maker pipe, you know, I just have EMT rail with maker pipe um, settings and put I put them together. And it's kind of like a little erector setup there that I just keep playing with and adding things and so on and so forth. I'd, I'd highly recommend thinking about how to 
how to have a grid because then you just keep changing things. Um, next question. Next one comes from Frederick Eckert in Bad Herrenlob, Germany, and he says, looking for resources to set up a Discord server. Any recommendations? Uh, go ahead, David. Yeah, I'd refer you to Keely Dunn, who was just on uh, earlier this week. Uh, she also has on her own Discord server called Discord uh, for Creators uh, with lots of really uh, helpful information. But if you reach out to Keely over on Discord, I'm sure she'd be happy to give you some guidance. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, and to me, it seems the setup is incredibly easy. Maintenance might not be as easy. Keely mentioned, and it was a brilliant talk. And if you're interested in doing a Discord service, I would definitely go back and look at her presentation a couple of days ago. Um, it's the maintenance of the community that you're forming around that Discord service server that's going to take some pretty significant resources in terms of time and effort. So just be aware of that. Yeah, and... I would definitely recommend starting small. It's kind of like what, what I've seen happen now. I've been invited to a couple of Discord servers where someone's just getting started. And what's really worked is they don't try to build all the, as, and Keely talked about this, they don't try to build all the channels ahead of time. They have a, you know, a general chat and a couple channels, three or four channels. And you walk in and you go, wow, there's not that much here. And there's a lot of us showing up. Then people start, what happens is that people start suggesting, hey, what about a channel like this? And what about a channel like that? And, and you start making a decision. If enough people voted up or whatever, you start adding them. And then you end up with <laughs> a plethora of channels like we do. Um, and uh, and so, but, but you know, we started with only a handful of channels and we just keep on going, oh, it'd be really good if we had a couple channels that talked about this, even if they're not used all the time. I like having little shelves for that, but you don't want to think about them too much ahead of time because you can build a whole lot of empty rooms. Um, next question. Elliot Robinson out of Las Vegas is up next. Any idea why Zoom meeting blocks music audio, but not speech audio? I use Windows 11 Pro and desktop client 5.13.0 with a Logitech Brio as a microphone. I go ahead, George. I can only assume you're just in the default Zoom audio settings, which is auto, which, uh, which means that it will remove anything it doesn't think is actual human speech, which it will even remove human speech when that speech doesn't sound human. Like when my daughter is being coached in voiceover, doing character voices, it will just simply remove certain characters because it doesn't <laughs> like them. Um, so that's probably what's going on. It's my guess. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. I mean, if I'm, if I'm reading and understanding the question correctly, <clears throat> you've got the audio input source to Zoom set as the Brio. Uh, for your microphone, so it's not going to be picking up any other audio. You would have to be running something uh, that would give you multi-channel, including the audio. Now, I'm assuming if anyone knows the Brio software drivers mm -hmm. to be different. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Mitchell. Sometimes the uh, the noise uh, suppression gets confused with music, thinking it's uh, it's noise, and will like it sounds like it's like chewing it a little bit or chopping into it so it can sound pretty strange if it's turned on with music in the background yeah i think a lot of r d is, is spent making sure that people can talk to each other so what it's assuming is that music's in the background and you don't want to, you don't want to hear it um, there's a couple different ways to handle it of course you can turn your original sound for musicians on um, that's going to stop doing that <laughs> it's just going to stop like that it'll stop doing a bunch of other things and if you're using your brio as a microphone you may end up adding a lot of things to your conversations that you didn't want um that's not you know because it's pretty far away from you typically and it's not a great mic so you're going to end up with a lot of um errata that's that's coming in because of that so um so i don't know you know you may find that that's worse but it will work if for some reason you want to pipe audio in, if you go into your screen share and look for the, you know, in the advanced settings, you can set computer audio as an input. 
that's going to put it in nice and cleanly into there and not really interact with everybody else's. It's a separate track going in. But that's the best way. If you want to add audio to a Zoom call, it's using the screen share solution with the audio share is going to be the best way to pipe it in, not through the standard mic input because it doesn't get filtered the same way. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next, and he specifically named Chesks Mitch here on the panel. Mitchell, you mentioned Zoom's audio processing goodness for noise reduction or video uh, or echo cancellation. Would there be any processing engine similar to what Zoom does that could sit on a Dante network and take AES3 in and or out? Go ahead, Mitchell. I think so. I mean, there are devices out there that can go online. Now, make sure you understand the difference between Dante and AES3. Dante is a network. AES3 is a uh, system of connecting digital devices. But anyhow, I would use a uh, Cedar DNS2 perhaps. Uh, pretty expensive at around $3,000, but it could go in line. And if it's uh, if you want AES3, no problem. It's got it on there. If you want to go Dante, you'll probably have to stick a couple of Avio modules on it. Good, George? There you go. There's a picture of it. There's the, that's a, singing the same thing. This is a several Alex's. Um, it's quite expensive. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to own three or four of those. Um, and uh, yeah, that that is the um, the small two channel version of that. There's a DNS eight um, that can also do send and receive from a mixer. Um, that that'll that'll um, that will do eight channels at a time. Um, and it's more expensive than the DNS too, just in case you're wondering. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably one of the best solutions as far as uh, removal of um, of that of um, kind of general uh, basic low level noise. It doesn't do really do echo cancellation, but it does do it does a little, but it, it mostly does a constant noise reduction. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, up next, and he says, "End of coding AI with ChatGPT, MidJourney, and Next.js is being used to create full websites and keep them updated with one click, no coding required. Is this the new era of website design?" I go, Jeffrey. I would say no, because we've had script kitties in the past. We've uh, and ChatGPT allows you to get a very basic amount of code. I've actually pulled a few pieces of code from ChatGPT because I'm working on my Python. Uh, I would never implement them straight by copy paste. I would go through each line of code to make absolutely sure that it's not going to do anything uh, in the system that I'm doing. And uh, that's that's even more important is you start putting pieces of code together. They're not always going to work together. So you have to figure out how to glue that together that makes it all, you know, coherent and secure for anything that you're using for your website for. Go ahead, Jeff. Can't hear you, Jeff. Still can't hear you. Um, yeah, go ahead, uh, John. So we're on, we're on a long journey here, Paul, and, and it's going to get better and better and better. And so um, you're going to see all kinds of automations. I know I know the SEO guys are already generating code with, with both ChatGPT um and mid and mid journey as well and then they're able to to spin up these wordpress sites that have internal links back to whatever they're promoting so there's all kinds of work going on in this department it's only going to get better over time good jeff let's try this uh so so yes i mean we, you know there are already 
websites. It depends what your website is going to be, what your goal is. I mean, it's no different than today. We have people that do websites just based off templates. And for simple websites, that's fine. And the template gets updated, and so the website gets updated. But for a real sophisticated uh, website, you, you know, no, at least not for the foreseeable future. Eventually, sure, maybe. But, you know, there was just uh, just the other day, I forget if it was a study or article that came out that, uh, you know, claims definitively that currently AI-generated code is consistently less secure than manually generated code by programmers. And so that's just one of the problems with uh, using AI-generated code. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be useful for a lot of people, but at least for now, not really the high-end top websites. Yeah, I would say uh, less secure than advanced programmers or, you know, intermediate to advanced programmers. But I think one of the things we have to look at is for a lot of people that are just trying to build websites, they, you know, and they don't, you know, they're not oftentimes have the money to go to advanced programmers <laughs> to put things together. And we may find that that chat GPT takes over that market pretty quickly. So, you know, again, where, we, where we're probably going to see AI at the beginning is really, you know, if you're in the lower rungs of skill set, um, it's going to be challenging, you know, for, you know, you know, whether it's design or um, art or or programming, um, writing. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things that if you're in the lower end of that uh, rung, if, um, and you're going to have some challenges because it's it's going to catch up relatively quickly. If you're in the advanced side of things, um, it is probably not going to catch up nearly as quickly, and maybe ever, um, because those hand. You know, like we look at a lot of things. Like I, I generated, I generate a lot of mid journey as we talked about yesterday. Um, images, all of them need cleaned up. <laughs> like all of them are like, well, it's pretty close. Like it's really pretty when you first look at it and then you start looking at the hands and it's got 12 fingers and it's got things and it's not, you know, so at a professional level, it's not there. As a, as a design tool of thinking about things, it's really cool. As a, I'm going to produce something that I'm going to use, not as much. And so, so I think that that's the challenge. Um, I think that the real challenge for us is to, and this is part of why, you know, not AI specifically, but we all have, if, if we're want to stay in this industry, we, in any industry at this point, we all have to keep making ourselves better. We all have to learn every day. We all have to, and that's part of why Office Hours exists is so that we can keep on, you know, improving our trade, improving our craft um, every single day because, you know, other, other people and other things and AI are all coming up behind us. Um, it's, you know, so you can't, just sit there and go, well, I can just do the same thing over and over again for the rest of my life. That for, mo for the most part, you're probably, those jobs are not going to exist 20 years from now. I do something that's slightly better than a machine. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and that's why I, I kind of put it, at least for right now, and for lots of things, not just coding, but like Alex mentioned, mid-journey image generation, in that same bucket as the folks that would use template-based design today. You know, you go to Squarespace and set up a template-based website. That's the folks that will benefit greatly from AI-generated code because it can be maybe a little bit more customized, but again, it's not, like Alex said, that top level. But Alex, you, you uh, just made me think of something uh, that you said yesterday, it makes me laugh, you know, as a voiceover having to get better. Cause yesterday you said, uh, you preferred listening to books. Uh, I think it was books that are, uh, computer generated voice over human, uh, spoken words. So then, yeah, we definitely need to get better if that's the case. 
For for spoken word for books, yeah, absolutely, because I can read them, I can listen to them faster. So the the computer, because it's more mechanical, it closes fast, it, it closes the words faster and it more and more precisely. And as a result, I can usually listen to a computer book at about two to two point five x. Whereas a human, I'm kind of at one point five, one point. So when I'm and and I have a tendency to just be just trying to shovel the data into my head <laughs> so, so like as fast as I can and so I'm not I'm not reading fiction that way like I don't listen to fiction I, I, is it if I, if I can it's just that kind of consistency also that you're yeah, talking about that consistency lets you... someone will a person will all readers will and, and some of them are are better than others the ones that are the most entertaining to listen to at 1x are generally the hardest to listen to at speed um, and the ones that are a little bit more just regular are easier to listen to at speed. And so, so there are places that we're going to find that that's the case. Like, for instance, I would not want to be in I, – I, I still think that when we look at the, a lot of these automatic tools, which we talked about and we'll keep on talking about because, wow, this industry is moving fast and it's going to keep moving faster and faster over the next year. So we want to keep our eye on it because it does affect us. But, um, again, I, I probably won't buy any more Christmas cards. Like, I wouldn't want to be Hallmark right now because – I just made 20 Christmas cards or whatever, and they were all different. <laughs> like they were for that person. Like I thought of that person. And I was like, they'll, they'll think this is funny. And I sent it to them. And and I think that as that gets better, the real challenge is not that we're going to use it at work. It's that we're going to use it for fun and we're not going to do the things that we were doing before. Um, so there's just going to be a lot of behavioral changes there. But I think that um, I, I've talked to some developers. A lot of them are using ChatGPT as brainstorming. The way So right now, most of us are using MidJourney as brainstorming, ChatGPT. So they'll ask ChatGPT to write some code. And they go, oh, I didn't think of it that way. you know. And But they'll think, oh, this is, I don't want to do it this way, this way. So an advanced coder can sit there and go, this I wouldn't do, but all of this was pretty interesting, you know, about how it how it came up with that, and it's actually pretty effective. But I'm going to change these lines. The real danger there is that what happens when all those advanced coders uh, age out? <laughs> so when they when they're no no longer there, you have all that base code that was being written by a junior programmer. Those junior programmers never become advanced programmers because an AI replaces them, and so that's the real that's the bigger challenge that I'm worried about. You know, when I think 20 years from now, is that we just won't have a lot of uh, advanced coders, kind of like in the United States, we don't have a lot of machinists. You know, that's why everything's built in China is because we stopped, we stopped building all the pipelines that built the, the, the workforce that allowed those to build things. And so we have to, that's the part that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a solution for it. It's a, I can see the challenge. I don't know the answer yet. <laughs> Go ahead, David. Just two thoughts I wanted to add. The first is that, uh, I've been having lots of conversations about AI in, communal and, and you know, faith-based communities and in, in, in that space. And there are two things that I'm learning. One is that people do not understand how AI works. They still think that it's a Google search query, that it's grabbing information, and that there are copyright issues um, pertaining to that. The second thing that I'm learning is, and I think you've talked about this, Alex, is that there is a science and an art to learning how to ask the right questions, to put the right prompts in, uh, and um, I, I just think that's a whole new area of learning that we have yet to explore. Yeah, the, the more I do all of these things, the more I'm, the less I think that this is just like, oh, you type something and it does something for you. To your point, the the quality of the search terms, how you're feeding data into it, what you're grabbing as examples is so, I think that um, there's going to be a landmark case at some point in the next two years where we prove that whoever's generating AI art is still is still generating unique art that that takes skill because the amount of time that I spend 
watching other people inside of MidJourney doing their queries because it shows all the queries and you sit there and go, oh, I didn't think of that. You know, like I didn't think of using that and then you start using it. And then I was talking, I was, I was hanging out with somebody yesterday over chat, just sitting there, we were trying to get their, um, their image to be better based on stuff. And we were basing it on specific photos. And then how do we ask for those things in those photos? And how does that look? And I realized it's just, it's not as random. You know, it's not like I just type in something random and it just comes out the other end perfect. How you ask for it and how you iterate from that point um, is, is, I think, an actual skill. Go ahead, Bill. I'm right there with David. I think that it's a combination. Now, I was saying for a long time that curation is the most important thing, and I'm now bringing query expertise right up alongside of it, because if you don't have both of those skill sets, then your time is just going to be wandering, and that's not productive. And we, and we did try to come up yesterday with a name for the person that does this, a diffusionist. We decided it's a, it's a diffusionist. It's using the, so anyway, next question. Next question comes up from Jeff Cohen in Miami Beach, Florida. And Jeff says, does anyone use a physical light to indicate when Zoom is muted, not muting the mic itself or the system level mute, but just Zoom? Go ahead, David. I'm using a Stream Deck to control my mute. And so I have um, uh, it set up as a switch on my Stream Deck with different colors so that I can quickly glance down and see. Having said that, it's not always 100% accurate. And so having my Zoom window in my teleprompter right in front of my camera means that without taking my eyes off of anyone, I can see right in Zoom whether I'm muted or not. And that is, to, to my mind, the safest bet. Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, Scarhoy makes a uh, interesting tally system that could be uh, programmed to talk to mute through, excuse me, talk to Zoom through uh, OSC. Um, also, there's some other devices, uh, the thing called Mute Me, which I had a little uh, fun with for a while. It's a hockey puck-sized uh, device, and it does a global mute uh, either way. And I think there's a cube somebody showed not too long ago that would turn red when uh, you were muting on Zoom. Um, I can mute, but it's not on Zoom, and my on-air light is connected to my microphone. But having that light go on and off is really annoying. I go ahead, Bill. I've said before, and I'm sticking with it, I don't think anything that is visual to me, my visual field is already rich with all sorts of lights and possibilities. To me, the mechanical state that I can feel it's down or feel it's up is the only thing that is utterly reliable for me in terms of muting quickly in these kind of ongoing, uh, fast moving circumstances. Yeah, good, George. Yeah, I just had the mute me, the mute me button. I like the idea of this product, um, but the problem is that the light being at the same place as the button is you don't necessarily want the button in the same place where you need the light. So uh, you know, unless the light is in field of view really clearly, something like that is not going to uh, be that helpful because you just can't actually see when it actually is on. So that that would be, and it's also software and hardware and all these things interacting. How quickly is that going to work? So as Bill said, a switch like this, uh, having a physical switch is hard to beat. Uh, it really is hard to beat. You go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. And my thinking around that and, and curious for the feedback, you know, we've said before, uh, that now if you have original sound on, it doesn't matter. But if you're not using original sound and you're relying on any of the noise cancellation from Zoom, you want you, you don't want your mic muted at any level in line or system level because you want Zoom hearing your mic to get data to process noise canceling better. You just want Zoom itself muted. And uh, again, if you're not using original sound, so that's... 
yeah, I will say that most of us are uh, most of us are using original sound. Like once you start really pushing this and you start, so I'm going to be, we're using original sound number one and number two is that you know I really think that a physical mic switch is is always going to be considerably superior to anything else we do with software. And I I've had a physical mic switch for a while now, and I'm pretty pretty happy with it. I do think that there's a lot of room. I think this is there's a market opportunity here to build a better mic switch. If you listen to you know, some of the mechanical ones you hear right as you close it, you hear the thunk, you know, as, as it closes and opens. Um, and, and even with mine, I have to be very careful of not tapping it. I have to just press it down. So when I, you know, here it's, it's, I just push it, push it softly down to try to not make as much noise. Um, and I found that putting it under my left hand, so I just, I have my finger sitting over it the whole time, you know, so, so, um, and, uh, and so that's, I, I try, I'm still getting better at it every day. Um, but I think that a physical mic switch, what I think is missing though, is a, is a mic switch that has a, a tally light to your point that you can put somewhere that's connected to it via a wire, <laughs> you know, and then, and then a button down where your finger is that is a soft, like a soft push button that's really kind of rubbery almost, um, that I can just push into it. And there's lots of buttons that you could find that doesn't exist. Like that's a mark, that's a product that doesn't, that's made of unattainium at the moment. Um, but, uh, but hopefully someone will build something that's really built for that next generation of, of, uh, solutions. Um, let's go rel relatively quick. We got, um, we're starting to build up on questions. Go ahead, Jeff, real quick. Yeah. And one workaround, it's not the interface I'm using right now. Maybe George is, but George and I came up with a cool little hack. If your interface or system supports it to solve that click problem, which is another interface that, that we both use in common the the uh, PreSonos Revelator, you can have a preset button and we made a preset that just gates the heck out of everything yeah. it gates and compresses and then so instantly with that push button, it just completely crushes the sound but no click, nothing. Yeah, I am, gates always worries me. Go ahead, Bill. I think it's also a performance thing because I hit the mic button as I'm coming into the word that I'm going to be saying next, and like a pianist can play a C hard or can play it soft, performance lets you gently move your switch into the actuated position. You don't have to tap it and make a lot of noise. I just think that someone needs to build a better switch. I mean, because it's just this is a mechanical thing to do. I just think someone needs to make a better one. Go ahead, George. Yeah, and my, another solution we came up with, my dad helped me make a modified mic mute switch. I'm using a whirlwind, whirlwind mic mute PPD that also triggers a wireless switch, which turns on the tally light over my shoulder there when I turn on the mic. So I get instant feedback in my camera knowing my mic is actually on too. So that's another fun way to work around it. I definitely think that, I think that there's a system here that could get built that is just the, the button that does the thing. To your point, you've already started to go down that path. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, Alex and I are both using the Studio Technologies 205, and it does have a contact closure. Uh, the small 3.5 uh, uh, mil uh, connector on the back will allow you to trigger a uh, light if you want it, Alex. Yeah, no, I'm clear. Yeah, and, and the problem the problem really is is that it doesn't have a state output from that from the box, and so I don't think so. I think just you can you can turn it on and off with something else with a contact closure, but you can't have it report its state back to a light that I can put up in my Yes, you can. you can. Yeah, in, in software, okay. you can set a... Uh, I want to do it in software. Uh, how you want it to work. Inside the 205, okay. you can tell it that switch needs to do this instead of this. No, no, you can tell it what the switch does. You just can't tell it to turn a light on. It can't activate something else based on its state. It, it, you can activate it with with an external input. Anyway. Yeah, it does uh, a logic uh, key. Yeah, it reset. does it. 
when it doesn't output a state. <laughs> it inputs a state. Uh, no, next question. It, outpu it outputs the state. Okay, we'll Trust see. me, it does. Okay. I've checked it. All right, next question. Next question comes from some Chris, Chris Widener in Lafayette, Indiana. Chris says, had a goofy idea. A buddy wants to stream bats live from his bat boxes. Video motion triggers uh, seem easier, but he wanted audio triggers. Is it possible to use specific frequencies? I guess these would be ultrasonics for bats as triggers. Go, Jeffrey. I don't know about the, uh, I guess the frequency, yeah, I get any microphone, uh, especially like an RTA microphone, you can, uh, you can capture anything like that without knowing the hardware that uh, we're talking about. Uh, the only thing that I su can suggest is uh, vMix has a side app called the Virtual Video Director. And within the Virtual Video Director, you can use ASIO or NDI audio. You can uh, map them out everything. So the second that one of them gets hit, with a sound, it will trigger and switch over to the next scene. Uh, I used it in the beta. I haven't used it uh, in, a, in the last year or so, but you can definitely play with that if you have vMix. Go, John. Perfect application for an access camera with built-in web server with terminal blocks for inputs on this. You can hook up any kind of uh, input uh, device that you want to trigger or write your own code on the web built-in web server. This is a great application. This kind of reminds me of the police detection that they use for gunfires now, a lot of cities use, where they're able to track down the shots in the city. Uh, but look at the access.com products. They're they're perfect for this type of application. If you're looking for ultrasonic, uh, one thing you may want to research, and this is not the cheap solution, is the Sankin. Sankin makes 100K um, mic, so it goes way beyond the 20K. So, um, and then what you would do is, so uh, sound designers often use this this mic to capture unworldly sounds that we're not used to hearing and then they shift they shift all of that down so they basically do a downshift to find the the frequencies or the sounds that they're looking for that exist in places that we can't hear so you i don't know exactly what the frequency of the bat is but i'm sure you could probably figure it out pretty quickly um it, i think it's less than 100k you could bring it down and then use something i mean you could use lots of different things to trigger it based on volume so you bring let's say it's at 30k you can bring it down to 10K and then we have something looking for 10K. Um, and that could be Isadora. That could be many other things. It says, show when you see something at that frequency, do this. Um, next question. Next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. And Douglas says, in 2015, U2 toured with an EMC all-flash storage array. And he notes the VNXE3200 to archive video content played through a pair of disguised media servers. They mention recording one terabyte a night from every camera. Wouldn't there be issues recording directly to a network-attached storage device? Right, go ahead, Jason. With enough buffer on a closed network, Anything is possible, but just because I think I sound good on a drum set doesn't mean I'm Larry Mullen Jr., U2's drummer. So, yes, but also not quite. Yeah, and, and um, they can be done that way. And as I said before, you, you can do a media, you can record over a NAS, but it takes a lot of engineering um, to make make that absolutely work. And that's a, that is a, you spend a lot of time planning that. And most mostly the cameras are all recording locally as well. Uh, to make sure that that's a backup. If they're not, then well, you're taking a chance every time you go out there. Um, but I've definitely seen a lot of NAS <laughs> NAS records that didn't that, that did have that engineering that didn't turn out the way we expected. <laughs> next, that's that's my caution. Uh, next question. 
Uh, next question. Jeff Cohen, Miami Beach, Florida says, anyone else find themselves over overly rigging things around the house just because you can? He found himself clamping a hairdryer to a light stand so I could heat up a 3M command strip to remove it from the wall clean. <laughs> Go ahead, Marty. That's a good one. I got to I got to try that one. Um, we had uh, we had our uh, wood floors refinished uh, in two bedrooms recently and I had to empty out all the closets. Um, so I went and got some uh, EMT uh, conduit, a uh, half inch, uh, three quarter inch EMT conduit and found uh, plumbing right angles and adapters and was able to support like a 12 foot clothing rod uh, on a um, combination of mic stands and speaker stands. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, so I, I both credit and and blame you guys directly for this. I mean, you know, it, it seemed perfectly logical and reasonable to me at the moment, you know, to I, and then I turn around and look and I have this monstrosity rig of uh, of stands and cords and everything else and it worked beautifully, but you know, this is from seeing all your guys' frames and everything else. It's it's amazing. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. Jeff this is this remember the group everybody here over engineers things and it's not over engineering like relative to who um i bought a new car in 2017 and realized that there was a very subtle vibration in one of the panels and it ended up annoying me so much that i got these half hemispheric pieces of bald rubber um, that they used to float record players and wedged it right between the windshield and that little dash panel. And it has worked to this day. And by the way, a heat gun is one of the best things you can put on an arm because it's the only safe place for it to be. Go ahead, John. Uh, yes, building a 21-foot-tall rocket in my garage. That's pretty complex. <laughs> I, I I have to admit, I, yeah, I don't have any existence. Of, I don't remember any any time that I was alive that I don't remember rig, over rigging everything. So it, even before AV, my grandfather like was one of the first hundred hundred people to get a ham radio license. <laughs> so so I grew up with, you know, the whole house. His whole house was wired. They were label. They were like, remember the little labeler that you punched through the every light had a little label about what it did that was printed out with one of the with one of those things and so that's what i grew up with we had a shop at we had a you know a shop it was a farm and so we had a shop and so it i would never let a 12 year old do it what i did in a shop you know because we were we were using acetylene torches and stick stick welders and, and that explains a lot now yeah yeah exactly so so anyway like i look at my son i'm like i would never let him just like run around with a stick weld uh anyway next question Andy Kokendorfer in VR Florida is back again this time with thoughts about using Ardor open source digital audio workstation and Dante and or NDI for the show mix. And then he's got a link to Ardor.org. I don't have I don't have enough experience with it to have any real opinion. Um in it it is uh huh, yeah. You know the the now this still looks a little like a well, I don't know. Yeah, where um, it is an interesting thing to to look at. It 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 looks like it's open source. Um, so yeah, I, I I haven't seen it, but now I'm gonna check it out. We are looking at a couple of those things right now. Um, you know, as as far as things that we might be able to mix with in software, and we haven't made any decisions. We're looking at Mixbus. We're also uh, looking at um, another mixing tool on the Mac. Uh, go ahead, Marty. Yeah, I've heard that Mixbus is based on Ardor. Um, it, it is an open source DAW, and it, uh, I haven't 
played with it a lot. I don't know how compatible it would be with NDI or Dante, um, but it's uh, it looks very interesting and it would be worth uh, with trying. If you do, let us know how it works out. It's probably a good second hour to kind of play with some of these to to see what they're looking at. Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, I agree uh, with Marty. I don't see anything that says that it will accept an NDI or Dante connection, which means that you'll have to have some sort of in-between uh, to bring that into the DAW right there, which could cause latency mm -hmm. on its own aspect. As for the, the program, you know, uh, mixing audio, mixing video, it looks like it's a pretty decent uh, alternative to some of these uh, these other items. And of course, if you live in all three worlds, a Linux world, a Windows world, mm -hmm. and a Mac world, it's perfect for that. Go, Jeff. Knowing nothing about that, but as a, a Reaper user, the Reaper DAW, I'll just tell you that it's, first of all, very inexpensive, relatively speaking, and infinitely customizable. Uh, it's got back-end scripting. Uh, I've completely redefined virtually every function. I've integrated it with automations on the Mac, both, you know, things that trigger Reaper and vice versa, things in Reaper trigger automations on the Mac. So I would say at least take a look at that. Yeah, and the one that I'm that I've been starting to fiddle with in, in my spare in my copious spare time when I'm not using Midjourney uh, is uh, SoundDesk, um, and SoundDesk is by Loud Lab, and uh, it's Mac only, um, but it is uh, something, and it's much more of a traditional mixer as opposed to a DAW. It's like a, it is a mixer in software. So I'm I, that's one of the reasons I kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit more mission critical. Mixbus and and SoundDesk are the two that I'm kind of playing with to see what we can do in software. You can get it's it on the App Store, which is another nice thing. A lot of them are there on their own sites. Yep, yep. Next question. Uh, Douglas Carmichael name-checked Guy Cochran for this one. He says, Guy, you mentioned NDI requiring MDNS to discover sources on the network. Have you tried zero-tier, the software-defined layer 2 VPN, to pass the NDI over the internet? I've experimented with it, and it works rather well, and he has the zero-tier link there. Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, so zero tier is one of the free P VPNs, and it's one of those things where if uh, it's free, you got to be aware of what's going on. We caught that thing sending some data over to an Eastern Bloc company uh, country, so I would not um, use zero tier. So uh, MDNS uh, is not required for NDI. You can just use remote. Uh, you can just use Access Manager and point those I IPs. Uh, and Douglas, I know I've talked to you uh, in private about the. Um, audio version of NDI passing over the internet. So it, it's meant to be on a local area network, not on not on the WAN. So NDI is not meant to go across like that. You're, if you try it with video, I bet you you're going to drop frames like crazy. So it's it may be stable for you with audio and it may be pretty cool to play with, but I would not recommend doing that for production. For If you want to do that, there's NDI bridge and you will have to pop open ports or yeah, use a VPN. Next question. Next question comes to us from Josh Kaufman in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Josh says, the new Zoom Rooms 5.13 has a great feature set. Many have experienced lagging video and out-of-sync audio inside the after-hours back uh, BO room when testing. Is breakout. breakout, thank you. Uh, the after-hours breakout room when testing. Is this problem isolated to breakout rooms, or is it recommended to downgrade to restore reliable capture? Go ahead, Guy. Yeah, this is going to require a lot more testing. Uh, we, we know for sure that the previous version was super stable and that it was rock solid. Uh, Ronnie Settle and I, we both fired up uh, VPCs in AWS. Uh, it's a virtual private cloud. And uh, we both put our Zoom rooms running 5.13 in 
the uh, after hours breakout room with the test sources. And we both were finding the same thing. And so we're in two different data centers and we just weren't sure if the sources needed to restart because as far as I know, those playouts occur via um, OBS. And so sometimes they need to be restarted. So I wish I had a, a sonnet box and everything to hook it up and make sure that those things were dead on. So there's a couple of variables right now for us to further test to make sure it's locked in. But yeah, I'm excited about it because uh, there's there's other things I got cooking that are going to be exciting once we get this uh, working correctly. But for now, I would say if you have to do a production back down. Yeah. And, and we can always request to make sure to put out a request for us to reset at a certain time. We'll try to make that more regular so that we know. We know that over a day, it's fine. Sometimes it gets left for a couple of days and it starts to slide out. So we should definitely check that out. Um, next question. Douglas Carmichael is up next. He said, could you see chat GPT or similar technologies having a transformative effect on text heavy industries? And he notes financial services or law. Go, Jesse. Uh, for financial services and law, the outgoing documents, I don't see an immediate transformation. It's good for first drafts, I'd say, but um, they, the lawyers who write those documents need to be responsible for every word. And they're not just responsible for the words they write, but also the kind of um, umbrella nomenclature and vocabulary that, that they use in their industries. So it'd be tough for outgoing documents, but for uh, parsing voluminous incoming documents, Absolutely, yes, to, to find problem areas of contracts that a company is is parsing um, and to, you know, to kind of like uh, heat maps of problems. It would be it would be fantastic and immediately applicable, I believe. Go ahead, Jeffrey. So I just asked ChatGPT to write me a cease and desist letter and I explained what cease and desist letters were instead of actually writing the letter uh, for financial institutions. They're under very strict uh, laws. And I would guess that uh, they would be uh, chat something like chat, chat GPT would be banned in the office because it could leak out information and they can't have anything like that happen or else they'll get in trouble. Go ahead, John. Um, so some really interesting projects going on. I can't wait to fire my attorney. I, I've written a bunch of agreements already on chat GPT. There's some interesting projects going on where guys are taking uh, TV programs. They're doing text they're doing speech back to text again and then they're tracking the market based upon the news that's coming out so uh we're on a journey guys this is they're taking over the world <laughs> go ahead jeff yeah and, and lawyers have already been using not even this but they've already been using software tools for incoming documents you know you've seen the proverbial the other attorney floods the office with boxes and boxes of documents and for uh, at least several years they've been using software tools to parse through them and they have already been way more effective and picking up and finding way more of those little items that the you know room full of first year attorneys uh, used to have to pour through and find yeah the, the, the first place that it has already affected is kind of um, run-of-the-mill newspaper articles that are about things especially about local news where they don't have as much staffing um, and and some financial reporting, which is not necessarily a legally based thing, but but telling you where things have gone. And that's been happening over the last five years. The, 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 they have systems that are basically looking at the data coming in, putting it into plain, plain speech and then pushing it out. You know, and, it, and it's just it's still just the facts. It's just wrapped around. Um, some nomenclature that looks human, you know, and so uh, we're going to see a lot more of that where it's just taking that low level stuff and not having a person do that, um, and that, which is where we're going to see all of these AI tools start. Next question. 
Next one comes from George Whittem here on the panel from Venice, California. And George says, does Insta360 have a fix to pre prevent the Insta360 link camera rapidly panning away from its subject? Go ahead, David. So I'm not sure if you're referring to when it's auto tracking or not, but the Insta360 does have presets that you can set up. It will stick there. You can move them around and it will not move from, from this location. Yeah, yeah, here's an example uh, right here. <laughs> so it I think, right, so so it overshot a little, but it's also, remember, it's tracking motion. So it looked to me like there was maybe a cat down there also. No. <laughs> and I oh, wonder oh. if it- It was just I, cat, it's tracking him leaning forward and readjusting his position in the seat. And then when you see his back, it, it the best thing to track. Turn off all that tracking. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how you the, fix it. Yeah, that's, that's what the I thought the answer was. Get rid of all that tracking. Like, it's, it's worthless. <laughs> like, like I, you know, I have I have three going on four link, Insta360 links. And the first thing I do when I open up the software is I just go into the tracking and go off, 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 off. Too much headroom, too much other things, too much grabbing onto things I don't want. Um, that, that part of the product I'm not as excited about. Being able to control it, setting presets where I want it to go, amazing. But I, I have a tendency to go like this to talk about something, and then it immediately starts framing me, and, and I'm like, oh, okay, never mind. So I would just get rid of that. We had fun with it live on the show. That's what we do. We just <laughs> yeah, exactly. let things crash and burn, and we laugh at it. <laughs> well, that's that's what that, that'd be my recommendation. Uh, I think last question for the first hour. Go ahead. Comes from Douglas Carmichael, and Douglas says, with the U.S. House of Representatives banning TikTok for security reasons and more and more U.S. politicians coming out against it, could you see a negative backlash from clients about making TikTok part of their social media mix? Uh, go ahead, Jeffrey. Well, there's always going to be backlash for it. I mean, it's the whole uh, uh, Barack Obama wants uh, iPhone over BlackBerry uh, uh, thing all over again. You just have to be very... If you're a politician, you just have to be very uh, selective on what you're going to be putting onto your uh, onto your TikTok, because just like with Facebook, just like with uh, with all the other social networks, it can be used for you and it can mm -hmm. be used against you. So, yeah, go ahead, Jeff. A, a smart client and a smart marketing team couldn't care less which platform they're using. What they care about is where their prospective customers are and are they reaching them. So if the customers stop being there, then they won't care. They want to be on whatever is reaching their prospective customers. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. The vast majority of our representatives um, could care less what you know they don't touch email they have people for email and you know it, it, this they this really to me seems email. like too little too late i think the the most dangerous part of tiktok is that it has persuaded millions and millions of americans to work very hard on something completely unproductive <laughs> so, so like i think that they're you know with the with the dream that they might get popular but there's an awful lot of people out there with like 300 followers that keep working at it and that's just an enormous amount of money that the chinese have persuaded americans to not use on something that would move them forward <laughs> so, so anyway so i think it's i think that's the biggest um you know the biggest thing that that tiktok does to a lot of folks it's they're building good tiktoks takes a a long time and it takes an enormous amount of effort and only a handful of them. It's like playing the lottery, except instead of paying $2, you're paying two days or three days stuff over and over and over again. And um, that's, the, that's the biggest danger of TikTok in my opinion. 
All right. Next question. Or no, ne not next question. Uh, we're going to the second hour. <laughs> Sorry. I, I saw the next question. I thought we were flat at eight o'clock and then suddenly another question popped up and confused me. So um, anyway, so the um, next question, or we're jumping into our second panel. I've got a couple mics to test. We were talking about them and I thought that it would be good. It's kind of this in between Christmas and New Year's. And and uh, so I thought we'd, we'd bring up these two mics, but it also is an opportunity for us to talk about microphones. So, um, so I've got a couple for us to look at and oh, I, I, and it looks like Jason has a, has a mic and we've got other ones to test. Um, so we'll start with actually um, some of the questions um, that you're putting up. So if we go ahead and throw some of those questions in and then in a couple minutes into it, we'll, um, we'll grab onto a couple of mics and see uh, what they sound like. Um, yeah, so let's go ahead and jump into the first question. First one comes from Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia, our friend. He says, is there a need for me to have a mobile setup? Should I use the Bigfoot USB or the Pile microphone. And we'll take a look at that. I, as a mobile setup, I'm not sure I would use either one of those. I mean, I have the two of them here and that's what we're going to listen to uh, in a second. Um, but I, uh, they're kind of big and bulky to carry, you know, like, I don't know if this is the mic that I would use to put into a, into a mobile kit, um, I guess is what I would say there. So, but we'll, we'll take a look at how they sound. But I think that, that again, what I would, um, I'd think hard about those mics. There's a little bit of a setup to them. Yeah. Go ahead, George. I would consider the Rode a video mic go to because it's like a little tiny shotgun mic that can be an on-camera mic and it also has a secondary USB microphone function. So it will plug directly into a PC or Mac and then with a special cable that you can also buy, it will plug into an iOS device. You get all that for a hundred bucks and the quality of the microphone is quite good for what it is and extremely portable, much more travel friendly. That would be the way I would go if you want to really travel on a budget. Yeah, you know, the big thing that I've generally done is is use some some version of a dy dynamic mic or a headset mic because of the the because of their tendency to have a lot of off-axis rejection. So, you know, either the the headset mic gets really close to my mouth and so I can knock out most of whatever's in a hotel room or I have a dynamic mic like uh, you know, we'll listen to this one as a comparison to what I'm talking to now, but like a little SM50 SM58 with some version of a converter um, is also a relatively small and you will and you have to have good mic technique. But with good mic technique, you won't hear any of the rest of the room. And the biggest problem that I have is just listening to the rest of the hotel room is the is the biggest challenge that I that I get into. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Andy Kokendor, Vernvier, Florida again. How do you determine the right microphone for your voice? Trial and error method seems wasteful and time consuming. Thanks. Good. Javier. Uh, right is a very subjective uh worth uh, it depends a lot uh, actually it's like saying which is the best spice to use in the kitchen it's, there's no one answer it depends on not only your voice but the setting you won't use the same microphone for singing that for a voiceover so uh, i think you're gonna try it if you have for example i have worked with some singers that have like very little time like collaborations in that cases that i don't have that much time what i do is to set up a couple of mics like two or three mics uh, in the best position possible record the three and then when you have the time, you can which, uh, choose which to use, but it, you can't, it's very hard to decide without listening. Good morning. So if we're looking for intelligibility for speech, if we're looking for clarity for vocals, um, those are very different things. It depends on who is talking into the microphone. It depends on the acoustic environment around you. It depends on the ambient noise. Um, if we're, if we're, Looking for intelligibility, for clarity, uh, you want to 
understand what the spectral characteristic of the voice is. Is, is it bass heavy? Is there uh, sibilance? Is it screechy? And you want to find a microphone that has a frequency response that complements that or, or compensates. A lot of vocal microphones, for example, will have a, a rising uh, frequency response in the high end, something we call a presence boost. And for, for people who, uh, many people can benefit from that. It's very common for vocal microphones for, for singers. Uh, in, um, and you'll find it on many small, medium, and large diaphragm microphones. So it is very subjective, but it, there are some guidelines uh, that require, you know, if you understand what your voice is and what sound quality you're looking for, uh, you can look at the specifications for different microphones at the frequency response charts, at the polar patterns, and you know, find something that looks like it will probably work for you, and then you just have to try it. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, I mean, trying different microphones is definitely time-consuming. Is it wasteful? I, I don't think so, because I think it's really important to take the time to find the microphone that you like on your own voice there are certain relatively safe bets like you know the tried and true re20s that have been used in broadcast since the 60s um you know and i've never heard that microphone sound bad on anyone's voice but i think you just have to try something and see whether or not you like it um one thing you can do from a cost perspective is just go into your local rental house and just rent a bunch of microphones as opposed as opposed to dropping a lot of money up front on a microphone and just try something and see if you like it. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, criteria and uh, how it sounds back to you once you've gotten used to hearing what your voice sounds to you. Um, are some some of the uh, capabilities. But life is a trial and error. So I'm sorry to say that you're probably going to go through a few mics until you settle on one that works well for you. And it's not always how the mic treats your voice. It's how sometimes you treat the microphone. Because my U87, for example, it took me years to be able to get used to it enough that I know how to work that microphone as a, a professional voiceover announcer. Um, so it serves me well because I know what its capabilities are, and I play to them pretty much. Go, George. Great point, Mitchell. It really is a lot about your technique and your room treatment. Those are all going to affect the way the microphone hears your voice far more dramatically between uh, versus testing out 10 different similarly priced condenser microphones that are all trying to do the same exact thing. Um, if you're going to try three or four different mics, get radically different ones so you can really hear how different styles of mics work, which you're going to get to hear some today. Or just shoot for the moon and buy a really, really good mic that just has zero, you know, very low noise, very low distortion, multiple pickup patterns, so you have a lot of control over how it hears your voice and your environment. And don't worry so much about all the different shades and flavors and colors of moth uh, that the microphones offer. Just just get a really accurate, clean, clear, flexible microphone and don't obsess about it for the rest of your life if, if, if that becomes a life's obsession and you don't enjoy that obsession. Good, Bill. And the best mic for you today may not be the best mic for you tomorrow. And the reason I say that is because if you were to do what I'm saying now, if you were to record yourself today on any particular mic, then 
each day for 15 minutes for the next 365 days, grab a piece of copy and read it out, and then compare that original recording with the one in 365 days, your voice will have changed. Your muscles will have gotten stronger. Your diaphragm will have gotten stronger. Your ability to articulate and read because you've listened back to yourself and fixed problems. So maybe that first mic that you use sounds way better than it did when you first did it because you are a better performer. So trying to match the mic to where you are now is not necessarily what you're going to be after two or three years of doing VO. Chris? Yeah, Andy, I would definitely echo what some other people have said. It's not a waste or time consuming. I mean, it might be time consuming, but you know, to tie this into a lot of our discussion from the first hour about AI, if it was just a matter of an equation, uh, you know, you just let a computer choose it for you. You know, go to your chat AI thing, whatever, and say, what's the best mic for Chris Fenwick? See what it comes back with, you know? It's, art takes humanity and audio quality is art. You can't let a computer, you can't let a chart decide it. It's not a frequency response. Listen to it. And yes, it's going to take time. Ruminate, you know, like Bill said, Take a year. Try, try a mic for a year. I mean, it, it, it's not completely, well, it might be a little ridiculous, but you're going to have to, you're going to have to listen to it. You're going to have to take the time. It's okay that it takes time. You know, a great writer doesn't nail it on the first pass. They're going to wordsmith it for a while. And there's a lot of us that like certain mics and don't like other mics and we're particular about them, but it does definitely usually comes out of experience. You know, like in, yeah, what you going to say, so Chris? Also, one last thing. It should be silver. Don't go with these <laughs> posers using black mics. A good mic is going to be silver. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the other thing is, is that as Bill said, you know, you'll change over time. And, and a lot of it is you'll, you're also your ear will change over time of what you like and don't like. You know, when I started skiing, it didn't really matter what what I put under my boots because I wasn't very good at it. So they could be scratched. They could be, you know, rentals. They could be whatever. Uh, they could have certain fi fixtures and you were just like, oh, it's great to be in the snow. Um, you know, after a couple of years, you started to get pretty touchy about which ski people we start talking about what flexes on each skis and I started I had to own my own boots and I had because I had a very specific way I wanted them to fit and you know there was all this stuff that started to become but in, I think it's the same with many things is that you at the beginning it doesn't matter because you don't know how to use them <laughs> so and as you get better you go oh I really like the way like Mitchell was talking about I really like the way this mic does something when I get close to it or when I get further away and and I and I like what it does um, and I have lots of different mics for lots of different reasons you know like I Oh, I want, I'm in this environment or I'm in that environment or I want it to be small or big. So I think that that, that is, I do think that there is a certain level of trial, uh, of, of trial and error um, that you also want to um, kind of figure out what it is. What I will say is that if you're down, if you have a really good radio voice, it's kind of like being a, it's kind of, if you have a really good radio voice, it's kind of like being a runway model. Like everything's going to fit. <laughs> like, you know, like everything's going to sound okay. Like if you, if you have Bill's voice, you know, you, you, when he says, oh, you can use any mic. I'm like, well, Bill can use any mic, <laughs> you know, like, or, or, you know, so, so, um, so it's a little different. And, and so, but if you have a, if you have a voice that is, is particularly in a higher register is where you have to pay, a, and George can correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but really where we spend a lot of time on mics, here I'll unlock this George for you if you wanna talk, say anything, but what we find is we pay a lot of attention to mics when someone has a higher register because it, it, it is something that annoys people when it's 
Um, and, and oftentimes with, you know, it's more prevalent, not always, but more prevalent with women, um, that they'll have a high, a higher register. And so in those cases, um, we spend a lot of time on mics to try to find the one that's going to pull that out. And we think about EQ and we think about other things to kind of, to bring that, to bring that back because it is, uh, um, that's where it's the hardest because it doesn't fit into the mics as well. If you have a low register, you, again, mics are kind of built for that. Uh, are you going to add anything, George? Yeah, like mid-range, the mid-range character, a lot of mics is where the color is or, or the, with the variations from one to another. And some certainly do have a little bit of a rise in like, you know, certain frequency spectrums, which are not good, not a good fit for some voices. Some people right. have a more naturally sibilant or very crispy, bright edge to their Yes. S's. And so those mics that accentuate that would be a bad idea. And sometimes right. people say, I need, I need a mic that can pick up my low baritone voice. Right. Not a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jeff. They will all do that. Yeah, exactly. Jeff. You know, also I'll, I'll point out to, to Bill's point, you know, record what you sound like today and a year from now, if you're testing mics uh, until you achieve that skill level that I haven't yet. I mean, you're different at different times in the day. You know, you can record yourself in the morning and then in the late afternoon, it's going to be wildly different. I, I do all my voiceovers before 8 a.m. <laughs> like if someone has me do a voiceover, it's all right when I get up. You know, it's 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 a very specific time. Um, I never do them in the afternoon. Um, you know, you want an like, extra lower octave, extra half of an I octave just, at the bottom a, of your voice. <laughs> there's that. It's it's not even the lower octave. It's just there's just resonance in my vocal cords that happen when I wake up that I really like, and so I that's when I do you know do do what I do. And they they tend to tighten over the day, probably from stress. It's called um, phlegm. Um, you know, but one thing that I do that I'm planning to do, you know, I realize that my, you know, we have lots of different registers in my, my family. And one thing I am thinking about doing in my garage is literally building like a little sound booth. And we have each one of us say the same thing, you know, like across different registers. So you can hear what this mic does in the same environment with four different people so that you can get a sense of what, what that mic might, might have a character to, to, to eliminate some of that. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. So as far as uh, I, I, I don't know about coolest, but the one of the nicest sounding microphones that I've tested in the last 12 months is the uh, the SE Electronics RNT. It was a mic that was co-designed by Rupert Neve before he passed away. And it comes with a giant power supply that's about this big. It's a two based microphone and it just had the biggest, richest, low end I've ever heard, at least for me, on my voice. It was a very impressive mic. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mitchell. I think that uh, this group here uh, on Office Hours um, is uh, couldn't ever be accused of not being brutally honest. And one of the most interesting mic tests that I've done was a ruthless review uh, of my system where uh, Alex responded by saying, Sounds pretty good, but I wouldn't want to listen to you for more than an hour. <laughs> I had to think about that one. Let's go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, George. I would say the uh, if you're looking for a desert island mic, the coolest mic I've tested in the last five years is probably going to have to be one that involves software, um, and that would be the Towns and Labs Sphere L22. Um, this is a microphone that essentially embodies hundreds of microphones, gives you complete control over the polar pattern, the proximity effect. And as an audio engineer who loves to set up studios for other people that I never get to physically enter, I'm doing it all remotely. 
to be able to dial in and tune the polar patterns and the and the all and literally steer it the way I want remotely and uh, and deal with all that while or even make mics that don't exist like a let's say for example a U eighty seven with a hypercardioid pickup pattern or a Sennheiser four sixteen with a uh, cardioid pickup pattern. Well, you can do all this in this cool make believe land of software hardware hybrid microphones, and this is this and is what one mic of is that. Them. It's called the Townsend Labs Sphere L22. It's a and system. It's, not it's a, a mic, system. It's a system. It's a system, right? And it's How now owned it? by Universal oh, Audio. So, yeah, it is now owned by uh, Universal Audio, which is a an obvious choice now because they build the ultimate interface to connect to it, which is the the app the uh, Apollo system. So you can plug in a plug-in and now you're using this one mic in the middle to very, very faithfully model a lot of microphones from history and from current microphones. Um, and uh, yeah, it's pretty spooky uh, how, much how good it? it does it. Um, $1,200 to $1,500. Mm-hmm. And then the interface, you know, it really works well with the Apogee. I'm sorry, the Apollo mm-hmm. Solo, which starts around $500. Um, but uh, it's it's quite a remarkable piece of kit. And uh it's kind of like the last microphone you ever need to buy, which a lot of people would say that's sacrilege, but uh, yeah. it kind of is like one of those microphones. Good guy. Yeah, a while back, about 10 years ago, I had the coolest Sennheiser rep, and they came out with the 8000 series of the Sennheiser microphones. With it. So the 8000 body was the XLR adapter, and then it had a, the head on it, the capsule. And so they had the 8020, which was the uh, Omni. They had the... Uh, uh, 8040, which is a cardioid, the 8050, which is a super. And then just for kicks, we threw in a uh, 416. And uh, since I don't have my switcher with me, I'm going to use my Insta360 link to go to position four. And this is what our test looks like. And we took this uh, Miller, um, uh, what do you call it, jib arm, and we put white noise at the end of of the uh, where the camera would go. And we put the, cam- the, the microphone in the middle, and then we spun white noise around each of these... Uh, each of these mics. So, so he'll push the white noise around. And it was really cool to listen to these and hear what it sounds like to have white noise go to the rear of the mic. Because you'd be surprised at how many uh, mics have a tail, like the super cardioid, the more you push it, the, the further the tail pops out. And same with a, with a shotgun. So these tests are on YouTube, but it, it was just the coolest uh, tests that we were able to pull off and uh, you guys might want to take a listen to it because it was a lot of work and there's six microphones in there and it, it guy wins really well. wow <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool but go ahead marty yeah that is a good one um several years ago i did a seminar for uh professional voiceover artists in the washington dc area we went into a recording studio and we set up uh four very different kinds of microphones because it was a recording studio, they had some, you know, microphones that were thousands of dollars. And then we said we went progressively down to like an SM58, which is $100 or less. And, uh, and we had them bring their own copy and something that they wanted to read. They stood in front of the four microphones and read their thing. And we recorded them on four separate tracks uh, for each person that came up and did it. And, uh, then we listened back to them for each person and asked them and the group which one was the best sounding microphone for that particular person. And it was not the same microphone all the time. Different people 
um, different microphones favor different kinds of people. Absolutely. Javier? Uh, the coolest mic test I did was the first time I went to BNH. I'm not sure if it's still there, but in BNH store in New York, they have this mic room that it has like 50 mics or something like that uh, with like 20 preamps and you can listen in headphones. And since the, um, the space is like acoustically treated, you can actually really listen to all the different mics in a control environment and one after the other, because it's very hard like to listen and then wire, like change cables and everything and then test the next one. And there you could switch like from one to another and actually like uh, listen from a thousand or three thousand dollar mics to very cheap ones and i think my greatest takeaway was that uh cheap mics if you select them well can sound perfect and the the more expensive like the neumanns like three thousand and up uh, they tend to sound okay with every everything you shoot at them uh they're like more uh, permissive you go jeff I'll give two shout outs. Uh, first of all, George and his uh, show co-host Dan Leonard have done some great uh, product and, and mic shootouts. And, and there's one video on their show, VOBS. Uh, there's one video in particular that I remember that uh, they went back and forth and cut it. So so Dan is just reading the exact same copy, the exact same studio, but cut from mic to mic to mic. And you can just, you know, back to back hear the exact same person, everything else. The only thing is changing is the mic and one more shout out uh on youtube curtis judd uh has done actually alex very similar to to your idea he uh he's done some mic reviews where he uh he has a male voice i, th I think it's him and then he has his daughter read the exact same copy with that mic and so on and so on so you can hear different people in different frequencies on that exact same mic same copy good bill also, there's manufacturing variability, and it's changed. And it used to be a, a truism that at the top end, if you bought a Neumann, they did so much testing, and they even sent out polar patterns and, and performance specs for the mic so that an engineer who could read them would understand exactly how that build of that mic performed. Sometimes you can hear that, sometimes you can't. As we've gotten into tremendous numbers of mic, particularly low-end mics, I worry a little bit. I, I did more actually three or four years ago than I did now about the variability of the manufacturing quality of mics. So if somebody says this cheap USB mic sounds fabulous, well, maybe that one did, but what about the 150th one off the line or the 1,900th one off the line? Does it sound as good? Are they losing some of that? But on the other side of that, now, um, in the old days, we used to have to have bespoke preamps and things like that in our mic chain. And now the digital audio converters are so ubiquitous and they come from so many factories and they're kind of consistent chips that I worry little less about those mics that have that onboard analog to digital converter because it's a known science. And yes, there are different ones at different levels and there are expensive DACs and there are cheap DACs. But generically, they're pretty built to a standard and there's not quite so much variability. So all these things are just, you know, we're trying to figure out the right, perfect thing in the middle of all this confusion. Yep. yep. Good. Uh, Jeffrey? My favorite test being a drummer is the bass drum test. And I will take a microphone and I will put it into the bass drum. I'll put it on the resonant head. I'll put it right next to the uh, attack head to see what the, uh, what the, what the sound is, what uh, type of things. Because if I don't have my D112 with me, I can always take another microphone and put it in its place and know it's not going to clip out. And of course, it also shows you where the plosives are going to be on a microphone. George, you said you had a, a little video of a test that you, you, you guys were working on. Were you able to show that? Yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, this is a this is a this is a Townsend Lab mic rigged up in a Model X in the front seat of the car. Something I thought I would never dream of even trying to do, but somebody asked, so we did it. Um, and if you want to hear what it sounds like, this is what it sounds like. Are you bringing in the worst ones? We need the kids who are. Um, what's the nice way of saying it? Garbage. <laughs> is a car is, is a car a good place to do voiceovers? It can be, uh, depending on where you are. This would be my last possible choice of where I would put a microphone in a car. Is on the is right up by the windshield, clamped right. to the steering wheel. But this was the this is what he wanted to be able to do. So I try not to say <laughs> no. And uh, I would rather put like a big pillow or a blanket or something over the window. But uh, uh, it's cavernous enough in the Model X that uh, and the mic's far far enough away, and we have it on the right pickup pattern, et cetera, et cetera, so that we could kind of get away with it. But uh, right. yeah, it's fun to. <laughs> experiment with other people's money that's all i, can I would say. imagine you two uh, u-turns are difficult <laughs> oh yeah, yeah exactly. no, this would clearly be from parts this is, cars. This, this is i have to pull over and do a voiceover you know you know it's you know it's uh you just got to find the next uh, service uh, service exit uh next question david brady in new york city is up next and he says a softball question regarding matched pairs of mics what exactly is matched and what is the margin of error and or deviation between the two go ahead marty well, what is the margin of uh, deviation? That's not, there's no standard for that across the industry. So that would be up to each microphone manufacturer. But what they're looking for is to match the um, output level, of course, but the output level at all frequencies, because that can vary. So that would be the frequency response has to match. The phase response has to match as well. So the phase across all frequencies. Um, the coloration, which you can think of as frequency response, but is a combination of multiple things. And, uh, the polar patterns also have to match. So it, there's a rigorous process that they go through, uh, in a, in an anechoic chamber to, uh, to match these things. So I, I'll put voltage, um, frequency response, phase response, polar patterns. Next question. Next question comes from John Snyder in PR, in Reno, Nevada, excuse me, said, would you recommend most people start with a USB XLR or combo mic? And what are the strengths and or weaknesses of each? Go, Jeffrey. Strengths and weaknesses could be its own second hour. So, and it really depends on the microphone. If you're just doing a simple podcast live stream coming into a Zoom or something like that, a USB microphone is going to be your easiest to set up and, and not as easy to, con or not as robust to control, but easier to control. An XLR, so up here, I'll have, of course, the MV7 is directly connected via USB. When I'm down in my studio, uh, my, my microphones are connected to an XLR to a mixer because I have more than one microphone and I need a little bit more sound control uh, down in the studio. Go ahead, Bill. The reason XLR dominated for so many years is that it, there's an active noise cancellation process, the balanced microphone connection that is only possible if you have three conductors. So when we had little tiny kind of joke mics that had a two conductor mini pin, you can't balance them. And so you can't re, uh, repress um, common mode hum and things like that. So everything was XLR at the professional level, but USB came in and that is a digital connection. So it can suppress noise in, in a similar function if it, the circuit is designed right. So now both can be good, but it's, we've moved on from the old era. Go ahead, George. 
George, can, can you hear me? So USB microphones can be cool, but the problem with a lot of them is they have some controls on the body of the mic for adjusting monitoring, but sometimes they don't have controls on the mic for adjusting the mic gain. For So for right now, like, I don't know if my gain is where it needs to be. It's not. I mean, it's probably not, right? It's not. So not. And so I have to go so into not. a... I have to so go not. into a control panel and then find okay, a fader. Okay, and okay. Uh, It's really loud. Like, it's way over. You know, then I got to pull it back down again on a control panel. It's, you know, so anyway, it's not always ideal. That's the point. <laughs> go ahead, Mitchell. I'll try to be a little softer. Um, it, it, it depends on a lot of things, but a USB means that there is a DAC in there somewhere. And unless it's an expensive, well-done DAC, it's going to bring it down. It's possible that it could actually do more harm than good for the sound quality. An XLR is going to expose exactly what that microphone's doing. A DAC has a lot of ability to put its own little uh, colorations in there. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, and I mean, there's always going to be a DAC nowadays. It just is a matter of where it is. I'll point out that there's nothing inherently preventing a USB mic from being a great mic. It just so happens that at least right now, most of the manufacturers, the way they're making and pricing their USB mics requires them to use perhaps inferior components. But, you know, I'll say one thing to Jeffrey's point about maybe not having the most flexible controls. That's no longer the case either. You know, there's a, a PreSonos Revelator USB mic that has all of the goodies of the of the hardware mixer built into the mic and they get the exact same software drivers and software mixer that users of the hardware interface revelator get it's the exact same thing with a lot of control virtual drivers everything from that one usb mic yeah, I, I think that deciding how you want to mix it, are you going to use a software mixer or a hardware mixer? If you're going to use a hardware mixer, you need an XLR. Uh, if you're going to use a software mixer, you could go either way. Um, you know, the I really like the the flexibility. So I generally, I mean, we do, we do a lot of testing, but when I buy stuff, I buy MV7s. And the reason I buy an MV7 is because it has both. You know, so I can send it out and it's easy for someone to set up or I can plug it into a larger system and it still works. And so I lean towards combos when I'm really trying to save money. I go to USB. All my pro pro mics are all XLR. Next question. Next one comes to us from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. He says, how do the combo mics compare that have both USB and XLR? Yeah, go ahead, Bill, real quick. Um, so XLR, as I was just mentioning, can can use phase inversion to kill noise. Um, that means the entire system has to be uh, be balanced. In other words, from the microphone to the cable to the receiving unit on the back end, everything has to be wired the same way. So if you do get an XLR mic and you plug it in wrong or put it through an adapter or something like that, you can destroy that ability for it to improve your signal by rejecting common mode noise. Mm -hmm. USB mics don't have this problem, but as others have said, the DAC quality matters. There you go, Jeffrey. I don't, I, there, I don't think there's much difference because uh, a combo mic, uh, there's they're all dynamic microphones. They're, I don't mm. think there's a condenser combo mic out there. Uh, and, of course, that's just basically uh, the standard SM57 type capsule that's mm. that's in there uh, that will uh, that you can use in either way. And then, of course, sound control is is control is created either through the mixer or through the software. Go ahead, George. George. Yeah, actually, Jeffrey's using a said microphone. It's a combo mic with both connections, and he's choosing to use USB because it's, in his setup, simple and easy to use, and it sounds good. 
Um, there is one mic I can think of. I wouldn't, it's not my favorite, but the Yeti, the Blue Yeti Pro does have the XLR as well as USB. And it's a condenser, quote unquote, mic. It's probably electric condenser mic, but um, there aren't that many of them out there. And, you know, it just, that flexibility is nice when you're learning about mics and learning what works. But at the pro end, we kind of, we, we kind of pick our poison and it's almost always going to be XLR just to because of how the mic fits into our workflows and the rest of our, our systems. Next question. Next one comes to us from Chris Widener. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Mitchell in Wilmington, Delaware. Can we discuss mic pairing with processors? That is EQ, compressors, DSers, and so forth. It's probably real quick, Mitch, but this is like a second hour by itself. Okay, just real quick, um, sometimes pairing a mic with a processor is just as important as picking the right microphone. I'll quickly uh, show what I've paired my U87 with. Just came back from the factory for a little tune-up. Mm -hmm. It's a uh, it's a Neve eighty eight oh one, and uh, it has a very very nice sound, especially working with that U eighty seven. And I think that what for Josh whoever is writing these down, we should definitely do a whole thing on mic processing. Um, just I think that's a whole second hour, uh, maybe next week. Next question, Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana. Up next, he says Rode NT USB Mini seems like a good kit mic. Has anyone compared it to some of the better known mics? I would say in general, the roads are, have been really solid. A little bit of, what I've noticed with the note, I've owned a lot of road bikes. <laughs> so, and a uh, uh, little bit of self noise. Um, so they, they tend to have, the, their circuitry tends not to be as clean as a lot of other ones, um, but they, they have a solid response curve. At least that's what, that's my experience of them. If I'm ready to filter them a little bit, um, because there's just going to be a little bit, of, a little bit, of sh you know, in there that you're going to, that you're going to hear. Go ahead, George. Yeah, the, the one I was playing with earlier, poorly. Sorry about that. Um, the Rode NTV USB Plus is very similar to the Mini, just in that it's a larger bike physically with monitor controls on it. Um, but that was the first thing I noticed when I really turned it on and started comparison, doing comparisons was the self-noise of its onboard in mic preamp, AD converter, all that stuff was definitely higher than what I have in my studio. And uh, that kind of knocked it down a peg. And that's, if you're buying USB mics, you're spending money, not for the capsule as much as you are for all the other stuff that's in that mic. And very few can do it super clean. Apogee mic is literally what it's called. The 96K or the Hype does it extremely well. And Sennheiser also makes the MK4 digital which also does that conversion very cleanly, very quietly, uh, very well, but not many can do it, have done it that well yet. Next question. Next one comes to us from Peter Belbin in Houston, Texas. And Peter says, was this mic tested? And he notes the Manoa, it looks like M-A-O-N-O, PD400X XLR and USB has an app through which all this, it has an app through which all the settings can be adjusted. It might be a good for remote kit use. Also the Fifine, F-I-F-I-N-E, K688 XLR and USB and the MXL BCD-1 XLR. I don't think we've tested these ones. And, um, you know, I think that we <laughs> will do this occasionally and I'll just keep on uh, buying a mic or two at a time. I'm, I'm trying not to go crazy the way I did before because I, I spent a lot of money on it. But um, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to add those to the list. Go ahead, Bill. I've seen this happen before when a particular uh, DAC, a digital audio chip comes out and it does a really efficient job at a low price of doing this analog to audio confusion, a lot of conversion. Manufacturers will, under different brand names, kind of send out a lot of mics that are designed to take advantage of that business 
leverage, mm. yeah. so to speak. So don't know if they're good or bad. There's a lot of them coming out. Yep. Uh, next question. Uh, Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. Brauner Fanthera, that's P-H-A-N-T-H-E-R-A, versus AKG C3000, or 3000C. Uh, go ahead, Stefan. Yeah, I just wanted to, to offer these two different sounding mics. The only thing I have to do in between is uh, to kind of switch the noise assist from one channel to another. So this was the browner you hear right now at the moment. And so this uh, should be the AKG 3000C. Are they at the same distance from your mouth? Yeah, they are the same distance from my mouth. Curious yeah, what George 3000, 3000 sounds more wide, picking up more room amb ambience, maybe? Yeah. Boy, it's... It definitely feels like a, like a, uh, just a choice you know, at that point of what you like. Um, they, they both sound really good. I mean, they, you know, obviously they're going to sound good at that price point. Um, so, uh, but yeah, they both, can you, can you talk a little bit more into, into the one again? Yeah, this is the, the AKG, uh, 3000C, which is a really heavy to pronounce for a non, uh, English speaker, this 3000C in one word. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was the mic I used, uh, I guess the first couple of year, uh, yeah, the first year I've been uh, here in the panel and then some time, uh, somehow Alex, uh, set me on a, on a kind of, uh, breadcrumb trail to Browner and, uh, yeah, finally I got one. Can you do the Browner again? So, yeah, this is the browner again, and uh, I have to switch noises. I, I, I feel like there's less sibilance in the browner, you know, like a little less sibilance. Yeah. Um, it's a little deeper, um, probably not as accurate, but but it colors it in a nice way. I mean, that that's how I would, if I if you if you gave me those two mics and when that test, I'd probably pick the browner myself, but... You know, as far as how I would go, oh, that sounds nice for voiceovers. <laughs> so okay. so, so yeah, I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, next question. So far. Next one comes from Marty Adius in Maryland. And it just says Mike Demos. All right. Now we're moving to the Mike Demos. Um, I have a couple, but um, doesn't who, uh, I guess everyone started putting up their, uh, I know we have to get to mine at, at some point because we were talking about these little inexpensive mics, um, but we can go ahead and start um, with, uh, uh, George, do you want to get started? And I'll start getting mine set up. I got to do a couple things on my end. Well, yeah, this isn't going to be super graceful because, no, I didn't pre-rig several mics to different channels on a console so I could rapidly switch, so I apologize. But the mic you're hearing me on now with zero processing whatsoever, this is the Austrian. This is kind of a newer company, but they came, rose from the ashes of AKG. So the engineers who did actually design those AKG mics that we think of, they're still uh, designing mics, but now under the name Austrian Audio. This is their... OC818. This would be their their kind of their flagship microphone. And I would call this their kind of Neumann U87 killer, maybe. Um, it's about a third the price and it's a multi-pattern microphone. And right now it is in hypercardioid with the 40 hertz roll-off switch engaged and uh, no pad. So that's what that microphone sounds like. And I have a little tiny pop screen 
on there made by The Hook Studios, which is a really cool local company that makes really interesting pop screens. So I'll see how horribly I can switch mics without creating a lot of noise by just simply flicking the mute switch and plugging in hand-holding this other one, which is the Rode NTG5, a very, very different microphone. Give me three seconds. And now I'm on the Rode NTG5, which you'll notice is very, very hot. It's got about 10 dB more output than anything else I've ever seen. So there you go for comparison. Insanely hot mic. All right. Um, the, uh, yeah, Mitch, real quick. Yeah, I just wanted to give you a little background. The Austrian audio folks were the AKG uh, engineers. When Harman bought AKG, they kicked all those guys out. So they're making really nice product. If you want a current AKG sounding device, they are definitely the best. And uh, let's go. Um, let's go to the next uh, next uh, um, J next question. Next, Jason. So yeah. Um, next. I'm, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, uh, this is a high LPR twenty two, and I, I don't have an AB for you, but um, when Alex was talking about mic technique, this matters a whole bunch for vocalist mics. What I'm going to do is just read the, um, you know, a couple sentences that's from Hiles' website. Uh, let's see. For vocals, the PR-22 provides superior clarity, articulation, and frequency response that Heil is known for. It features a specially designed internal mount to reduce handling noise. And that's, um, you know, th that's just a handheld mic. And if you don't have good mic technique, this how is much what is that? you end up with. Um, they are not terribly expensive. And um, I, second time I met Bob, he said, you should probably get this one. And it, it, it is probably one of my favorite mics. Nice. Um, I, I find all the Heil mics have a common, a sort of a similar car, uh, curve, EQ curve, which yeah. I would imagine Bob tunes. Likes. Likes, right? And so it complements Bob's hearing, right? That can be a pro or a con depending on your hearing. Um, it what do you think it is? It tends to be very forward in the upper mid-range. So that can be good for some voices, not so good on others. But every time I'm using those PR series mics, that always seems to be the thing I will reach for is to is to dip out a little bit of high mid range EQ because it seems it's a little it's a little more nasal in terms of its projection. You know that could be uh, my technique though. I mean, I'm no, I've heard a lot of them. They all have this. that same EQ kind of bump. Um, and, and, and it's just, it's a pro or a con and depends on how it, like, I know they're used on, uh, uh, uh twit a lot and, uh, they're EQ'd, I'm sure to smooth out that, that aspect of that particular microphone, but there, there's nothing at all wrong with the quality of these mics. They just have a sound. They definitely have a, an actual sound to them. They're not like, I would say flat. And now I'm, whoa, now I'm going to try, uh, hold on, let's see here. So I'm going to try a couple here. These are the ones that we had, people had asked about in the past. Um, right now, you're still listening to me. This is through the uh, Stellar X2, uh, which is I, I've kind of, uh, that's what I've been using for quite some time now. This is what Courtney had suggested in the past. Uh, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to change over one thing. So I got the pile. There was a request to like, hey, can we test the pile? Um, this is a 20 or $30 mic. Both of these two, the two that I'm going to test are like 20 or $30. And so you can kind of compare them. Um, interestingly enough, uh, one thing that I did find was that I, um, the pile, very inexpensive, comes with a case for all the money that you spend on 20 bucks or something, comes with a case, a, um, a, a 
it comes with a pop filter that you probably pay 20 bucks for, a case that you probably pay 10 bucks for, a little stand and the microphone. The one thing it does not appear to come with, unless I'm, um, is a headphone jack. So what you won't be able to do is hear yourself at zero latency. So, so take that into account. That is a kind of, as someone who's bought a lot of these mics, kind of scary for a USB mic not to be able to have low latency return. Um, anyway, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this one off and loop back and hopefully this will work. Um, so I, I tested a little bit before the show, but um, we'll, we'll see if this actually works here. So turning off this. And now I'm turning on this and so I can hear myself. There we go. It's a little. So I have a little bit of latency that I can hear myself here. So this is the now I have all the things on it right now. There's a pop filter. There's a uh, so I can pull some of this stuff off. Are you an original sound, Alex? Uh, I interesting. Okay, this is what. Uh, okay, now I there we go. Now I understand. So interesting. Um, so now I understand when I was under trying to figure out when original sound gets turned off for me. When you change your input, it immediately turns off original sound. That happened to me too. When I went to the uh, USB mic and back, that yeah, exactly. I was yeah. like, oh no, it toggled. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to do this gently to try to get into the right distance here to make sure I don't, I'm not overmodulating here, but I think that we're pretty close. So that is the pile mic. This is a $20 mic and it's $20 for the mic and the stand and the pop filter and, and uh, the, the case. And so, um, so I, and I, I don't, I can't, I'm hearing myself again, because there's not a way to listen to it at zero latency. Uh, it's, I would say it's fairly problematic because I'm hearing myself back going through loopback, which is about the most direct way that I can send it. I'm hearing myself back at about 30 to 40 milliseconds behind. And so it's a, it's, it's a little distracting, I will admit. Um, and so uh, that'd be the only thing. But how does it sound for on your end? Does so it sound You're okay? getting the singing the national anthem in a huge stadium effect, right? How hard that is. Can you imagine how hard that is? Oh, you're hearing, you're hearing doubling? No, no, no. Yeah, that, that's what you're both, hearing, right? That's what you're hearing. I'm hearing um, doubling, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, exactly. the, I just hear an elevated noise floor from the mic, but other you know it it's does definitely seem like noisier a... but you know i mean geez you can't you can't fault that mic too much you know you would really want to go up 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 the food chain if you're doing pro voiceover but if you're doing right. anything uh zooming or anything uh, you know podcast related you're getting started you twenty dollars and to be fair um i should go back hold on let me see if i can do this really quickly um i should because there's there's a little bit of noise in the room and so let me turn this down. All right. It's so, definitely the distinctive white noise-ish hiss of a of a noisy right. mic uh, circuit. Yeah, it does. It does have that little like white noise there. So anyway, so that's the pile. Um, that's the pile there. there yeah, you were going to say something, Chris? Yeah, you know, when we make a website of recommended gear for office hours, you should put that product down as a microphone accessory kit. Yeah, exactly. That comes with a mic that you can test. <laughs> it's a microphone. <laughs> like, the mic yeah, is a placeholder mic. You know, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like the, the fake TVs at Ikea. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. So it's... It like, actually sounds fine. It, it does sound fine. And and right. I think... Um, I, I think that the issue really is that uh, without the... I would not recommend this mic because it doesn't have a low latency That's headphone input. It is a massive issue. I don't even know how how you would use especially with a usb one because it's going into the computer there's no way to hear it and i'm just gonna i'm just checking to make sure like i didn't miss something 
No, I don't think so. So anyway, so that's the thing. You need buzz. a mic with late latency monitoring, like this NTG USB has a headphone jack, and you plug in and you get that that zero latency monitor off the mic. You really do need that. You need it. Like what so it, that's something. What is the model at. of that pile? Oh, now you're asking complicated questions. It's the one that was recommended earlier. Someone could probably put it in. It was, the it twenty dollar model. It's a twenty dollar pile mic. Are you hearing that? Now yes. you got a ground loop. Yeah. And man, George's ear for hearing that that it switched off of original audio. Impressive. Oh, okay, so now I've, I've gotten hypersensitive to it. Whoa. The biggest problem with the ground loop. The biggest problems with the piled microphones is the quality control. So you could have one that's sounding like this, and then you buy another one, and it could be completely different experience. Anyway, I, I, I don't know where a ground loop's coming on a USB mic, but we can definitely hear it. It's so, actually getting worse. Yeah, I'm gonna. So I'm gonna. We'll make sure. Oh, that. Yeah, there you go. Loop. That's me touching the mic. So when I touch, when I grab onto the mic, I'm forming the the ground. Not a and, handheld uh, mic. So under cons, I'm going to say don't touch the mic. It's a bad cable. That was cable. awesome. It's a theremin it's a cable. is what it is. Yeah. All right. It's a All right. <laughs> I know exactly. Uh, All right, I'm so looking at it on the Amazon. It looks like it has a, a mic jack on it. Right below the two knobs. Pile PDM USB 50. Oh, interesting. So the bottom, so the bottom can be loosened. And uh, no, there is no there is no handle. What are you talking about for the handle? Uh, no, uh, beneath the knobs. There are I mean, no is, knobs. Is, on this, is this not the mic that I'm showing you here? Nope, nope, that's uh, not it. Well, maybe this one's twenty bucks. Maybe we should try this one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it has that that noise that you heard was because there's a shielding at the bottom that got loose, just a little loose, and then it started grounding. Um, and when, as soon as I tightened it. It went away. So, so anyway, so that's the pile. Um, yeah, this one doesn't have a mic jack. Now, this next one is the we had talked about this in after hours. Hold on, let's go to the. Um, all right, now this is now. I'm gonna fix this. This does have a low latency. Hold on. Um, there's one problem. Okay, this is the Behringer Bigfoot, and one problem is, is that they sent me a, um, let's see here, this is picking up a lot of stuff, and this has a bunch of different settings, so I'm going to kind of give it a fair shot here. Uh, it might be a little hot. Um, let me uh, bring that down a little bit, let's see here. So this is the Bigfoot. I'm going to bring that down just a little bit so that it's not um, quite so loud for everybody there. So, um, so now I'm talking into it, and I'm going to bring it up a little bit so that you can hear it, and I'm going to keep on bringing it up until you can hear it. Is that good? Um, uh, this is so now I'm using the Behringer Bigfoot and it's about in the right place. Um, this is very, uh, very present. Now this has got this is the copy. This is Behringer's cheap copy of the uh, Yeti mic. So this is you know designed to sound a lot like the Yeti mic. You're, you're going to hear a little hand placement because I don't have it net put that you know put there. Now one thing that I will say is the bottom swings. And the way that this USB goes in, it's an old mini USB. The way it goes in, and the way and what the cable they sent, if you swing it the wrong way, it will shear the, 
it will shear the USB off. <laughs> so, so I've already bent this one. So, so you have to be very careful of like putting your. I went to put my headset in and immediately like just just saw it just go. And so, uh, maybe not the best place to address um, putting a USB into it. Um, this does have it, not only the stand, but it has a quarter or it has a three eighth inch um, uh, mount on the bottom of it, as well as a. Uh, a mount on the bottom as well as you can unscrew that and have a regular mic stand mount too. So there are a couple options there. Now I'm going to change. I'm currently in the cardioid. Uh, I'm going to, we did this I think before, but. It ain't bad. It ain't bad. It's so this quiet. is in the figure eight, which I think sounds the best. The real problem with the figure eight is that it's going to pick up everything in the in the room, so it's it's a you know so it basically has the you know so. Well, it's um, going to pick up everything better than the than the condenser. You were going to say something, George. It's going to pick up everything in the room. Oh, I can't hear you now. Okay, let me finish this. I'll I'll, I'll go through okay, it and then we ahead. can talk about it because I I changed directly. So this does have a headphone jack in, um, and I probably I guess I could send it. Hold on, I, I can probably hear you. I bet you that I can send my speakers. Try talking again, George. Uh, you're silent, you. but if you can hear us now, then yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah, so yeah, the figure eight is interesting because I, I actually like that pattern a lot. Yeah, you would think it picks up the whole room, but really what it does is picks up what's behind the mic. But then more importantly, it ignores what's around the microphone, around its own huh. central belt line. So if you've got a window to the left of you or a reflective desk below mm -hmm. you, figure eight will mostly avoid it. And it gives you more proximity effects, so it sounds a little more yeah. rich. So I can yeah, see why I you like the way it's... There's a reason you like the way that sounds. It's, and <laughs> yes. uh, I, I wouldn't argue with that. That ain't bad at all. It's big step over the pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like a big jump. And this one, I think, was on sale sale for like 30 bucks right now. Again, this is the... Um, now we're switching to the cardioid. Um, so you can hear that, how that sounds. This is the... I believe this is the... Um, uh, this is the Omni. So a lot of sibilance uh, in the Omni. Um, I would not and no use proximity this. effect. So and no proximity effect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No proximity. And then this is the. Um, sorry, that that is. A, I don't know what this. That's stereo. Oh, stereo. Yeah. You You're can hear. Stereo. If you can hear. If you can hear that. Yeah, we're getting it. You know, so yeah. So it's it's in stereo. So so that's the stereo version of it. Um, so you can it, it, it you know it picks that up there. So I think that that if you use this, so we'll go back. I apologize. There's some beeping here. There we go. So that is the, but that's the figure eight one. And I, and I do think that if I was going to use this mic, I'd probably use it in that figure eight component. Um, I will say that again, the low latency, still a lot of sibilance from what I'm used to, you know, from, from the mic that I, that I um, normally use. So those are, um, anyway, Not those are the tests that, that we uh, had planned. And it was so great to have everybody else have so many other things to talk about there. So, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, so that's great. Uh, let's go ahead and um, jump, uh, go ahead, uh, Jeff, and then Marty. I wanted to ask just while while we have you uh, swapping in and out of things, you mentioned uh, one time uh, a T-Bone mic. Do you have one of those, and do you know which model? We tested that in the past. Um, it's the 7B, and it's the T-Bone 7B. Um, I have two of them down at the office, and we've been using them as a test for uh, the Michael Krasny, you know, gray matter with Michael Krasny. Um, we're probably going to retire them sometime soon. Most you can you don't hear it so much in the podcast, but I have to filter out a lot of self noise um, that they that they have there. So I have both the the USB um, and XLR version as well as the XLR version. I think the preamps in the USB are almost worthless. I mean, it comes in so low that it's really not not useful. So um, so we've used the XLR inputs. They work fine. 
Um, they are very sensitive to air, so the plosives can be pretty intense when they when they get hit. There's a, it's a large enough diaphragm on the end that if someone goes, you really I should I haven't been using them with a with a pop filter, and I really need to. Um, so you need a pop filter for them. They're inexpensive, seventy five bucks. They sound overall the response is pretty good, but I will say that they um, they're they're very they they. They lean towards popping. They have some self-noise. It's probably not something, as the person who's doing the post on it right now, I'd like to get a better mic so I do less post. <laughs> so, so, so that's, that's, that's kind of how, I, how I've been kind of looking at it there. Yeah, go ahead, Marty. So I have a, I have a, a bunch of, a cluster of microphones here in front of Can't me. You. That I... You're in stereo. Left channel only. All right, how's that? Still in stereo. Same. Really? Uh, that's quite unusual. <clears throat> Zoom well, preferences, just go to your audio and change it from, st turn off the stereo mode, uncheck it in your, uh, yeah, Zoom okay. preps. There, there you go. we go. Bingo. All right. Thank you. Um, I have a cluster of microphones here in front of me and, uh, I am going to strip down all of my processing, uh, and turn off all of my stuff. So now you can hear I'm in a fairly noisy room um, so we can't uh, evaluate the noise floor of these microphones but we will be able to uh, show the hear the noise rejection differences between some of them and I have uh, uh, frequency response and polar pattern graphs so we can see what each of these microphones are so th this is the microphone that I use most often it's an audio technica 4050 microphone. It is a multi-pattern microphone, but I am using the figure eight pattern, uh, which I like the best and, and gave me the quietest result. Now, um, this is a $700 microphone, and uh, you can see in the polar pattern that there's a, a slight rise, about three or four dB from 2,000 to 15,000 hertz which is uh, that presence boost that I was referring to. And uh, I'm going to switch over now to the uh, Audio-Technica 4035. Uh, now, I've, tr I've tried to equalize the output level of all these microphones uh, so that you can hear Can you the bump quality. them all up? I, I... Um, they're they're all really low for me at least. About yeah, I'm, I'm hearing yeah. you. Yeah. I'm hearing they're you low. on the right side, but not the left side. No kidding. All right. Hmm. I'm hearing you both ears. Interestingly, yeah, I'm hearing both ears. They're just low. Both. All right. So I'll I'll bring them up. That should have brought them up. There you go. All right. Great. So when I turned off the processing, I lost a little bit of gain from the compressor. Uh, so this is the twenty thirty five microphone. It's a hundred and $49 microphone, and this one has that presence boost, but uh, is a little narrow. It goes from 10K to 15K. And it's still coming in pretty low. You're about 60B low. All right, let me bring this up I here. love that mic. That's one of my favorite go-to get-started voiceover mics. It's, it's a fantastic value mic. The 20 series microphones from Audio-Technica are really nice. The 40 series microphones are their higher-end mics. Um, and so that's this. Now, uh, these are both uh, large diaphragm side address microphones. And, right, and now I'm going to go over to uh, something a little bit different. This is a, um, a Lewitt from Lewitt Audio, uh, the 550. This is a cardioid 
dynamic microphone. All right, I'll bring this and up. Still here. coming in low, yeah. How's that? that any better? Hmm. A little. A little. You want more? Okay. I'll bring it up way up. Uh, so this is a, a cardioid dynamic microphone, uh, about one hundred and twenty-nine dollars. And uh, you can see that the frequency response is quite a bit different. Um, the, the presence boost uh, goes up nearly uh, uh, 7 dB at about 4,700 cycles, and then comes down, it gives a little dip, and then it goes back up again. Uh, and uh, we'll compare this. The next microphone is an Audio-Technica... 2010, which uh, is another uh, front address. Uh, this is a cardioid dynamic microphone, about $120, uh, with a bit of a different frequency response. So that goes up uh, 4 dB at about 13K. Um, it's nearly flat at 7,200. There's a bit of a dip in there. And so these are different voicings uh, that will complement different kinds of uh, voices and instruments. Uh, the next one is, is interesting. Uh, this is an Audio-Technica ATM450. It's a small diaphragm side address microphone. And, uh, <clears throat> and super this is <laughs> good. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and super, very sibilant. And very like, sibilant because of uh, uh, its rising high end. It goes up uh, at 14K and then again at 17K. And so these are often used as overhead mics over drums for cymbals and such. And that's why it sounds so sibilant. Uh, it's very good at picking up those high frequencies and uh, and, and more balanced at the low end. Uh, definitely not a voice mic. <laughs> like, definitely like, not that, a voice like, mic. That's why we test them. Uh, you know, <laughs> but, but that would definitely be, if that was laying around, I'd probably take some right. time. That's why I don't use it. Yeah. So the next one is also from Lewitt. This is an 840 microphone, the uh, uh, MTD 840. Now, this is interesting. It's a cardioid dynamic, but it has a condenser mode to it. So this one has uh, actually using, right now I'm using 48 volts. Um, it is a super cardioid microphone. So you see in the polar pattern, you see the the uh, rear lobe is a bit bigger than, say, um, a, a regular cardioid microphone. So it will pick up a little bit more sound from directly behind it. And you see it has a huge presence peak um, at... Uh, uh, about 8K, about 8,000 cycles, uh, huge present, huge wide presence peak in there. And uh, the next one is going to be the SM. Really, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'll bring that one loud. down. Yeah. Bring that one down. So this is the SM57. There it is. This is the SM57. So standard... Uh, yeah, still, you're still like 10 dB hot. <laughs> All right. I'll bring this so. down. Bring that one down there, too. Uh, that should be better. Um, the SM57 is a very standard front address dynamic cardioid microphone. Uh, used Almost as popular as the SM58. Um, used a lot for voices, for singers, for instruments. I've seen this in front of guitar amps. I've seen this in front of singers. Um, 
it's it doesn't have the big ball head at the top like the 58 does but otherwise it's it's very very similar it's got a nice presence peak um at uh, about uh 8k uh 9k and uh and it's very well balanced now um uh, just one more thing i'm going to i'm going to show <clears throat> and talk about so We're not hearing you if you're if you're talking. Yeah, we're not. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, while he's switching, Alex, if I could ask you that pile, do you, do you have it there? Which model number does it end in a one twenty or one forty? And then George, I'm curious what you think between if if you remember between the pile and the. Um, uh, sorry, the other uh, uh, inexpensive USB mic, the second one. I, I preferred the pile, actually. I'm curious, George, what you thought and, and others. Oh, it was just too noisy. Like, it was so dramatically n noisier than the other. It's the uh, pile 120. It's the PD mic T120. And it's $22. But yeah, a lot of, if I didn't have something to filter that noise, it would be unusable, <laughs> like, in, in my opinion. Um, so. And I think that, I don't think that either one of those, I think that they're not bad. I think that, um, I think that the, uh, my opinion is the Behringer is probably something that I'd be more likely to use if I had to pick between the two um, in that, in that figure eight pattern. I think that it would be uh, a relatively, relatively good mic at $30 um, that someone could put in there. Um, it does have some stand options that we didn't, we didn't really use there. Um, I think that uh, both of them have a little bit of noise that are there. For me, the pile though, without a headphone, low latency headphone connection is unusable. Like I don't, um, I, I, I'll take it apart and see if I'm missing something. What you're saying is that the Bigfoot is um, a really great mic if you've got noise assist and a blanket fortress room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're great there. Yeah, but I, I'm looking at this mic and, I, and there is definitely, this pile mic definitely does not have a low latency return, which just makes it just brutal. You know, I mean like that, that, that was not a, and, and and admittedly, some people don't like to hear themselves, and so um, so that could be. But I but as anybody who does this for a while, like you really want to be able to hear yourself. Like I can't imagine. I know people have to get used to listening to their own voice, but I yeah, can't but imagine. no side tone. I mean, yeah, no, yeah, no, not having that is really brutal. Yeah, go, Marty. Are you back up with your last example? Yeah, this is a uh, uh, this is a one out of my vintage collection. This is a. A Turner. But to say it uh, sounds like an old radio, old, it, <laughs> very limited response. Yes, this is a, a carbon-based microphone. Uh, let me get to it. There it is. The uh, uh, Turner Legend model number ninety-nine. It's a carbon diaphragm microphone, carbon-based microphone, so very limited frequency response. It can be used for special effects. Um, it can be used for for showing. Uh, something that is you know a vintage real vintage microphone so just good. to show how different diaphragms work yeah that's great that's great uh, let's go to jeffrey jeffrey um yeah so i've been uh i've been getting i always get microphones from all these different companies uh, but monoprice has been uh, uh coming up with their uh their microphone series this is called the dark century 
which is a blue Yeti uh, knockoff, I guess you could call it, uh, that uh, I unboxed uh, this last week. And of course, we ran through the sound. It's got a couple, it's meant for gamers. So it's got a couple different features. On the top is where you actually control, whether it be the uh, cardioid, the stereo, the uh, bi-directional or the omnidirectional, simply by pressing the button on top. And then that will uh, that'll switch it between the two. It's red right now because I got it on mute. And then the other thing is, it's on the bottom. It's got the uh, it's got a little button here that you can change out the uh, the colors of the microphones. So uh, you can put this it's onto important a stand. To microphones, it's color. Exactly. You can, you can put it onto the stand. You can put it onto the table. The, the another interesting feature is this little guy right here. It's a little kickstand. Uh, uh, adjuster so if you really want to get it closer to your, to your voice well if you want to get it closer to your, vo your your voice put it on a stand but uh if you have to have it on table this is uh this is this so i'm going to switch over to this mic we're going to turn i'm going to keep the uh, original audio off for first and then i'm going to turn that on as we go up the volume a little bit and turn up the volume as we're going i'm watching the meter so we've got that we're, we're hitting about 20 24 right now and i've got that right in my voice uh, this is the uh, cardioid pattern uh, of course we can do stereo by just simply pressing the button i'm going to turn on the original sound there it is with the original sound on so we have the same voice here we'll switch it over to stereo and now uh, I think that's, no, that's bi-directional. So if I talk back here or talk forward, uh, I'll switch it to the stereo. So now I should be on left channel and then move over to the right channel. And then of course the omnidirectional. So no matter where you are on the microphone, this is perfect for, you know, uh, getting like a bluegrass. And what's the price on like that? that? $80. No, they're interesting. A little, it feels a little thinner than the MV7. Like, I mean, to me, it sounds a little thinner, just not quite as much bass response. I don't know. If yeah, it's, it's, it's got a, it's got a frequency range of 20 to 20 and it's got an SPL range of 130 dB. So it'll mm -hmm. be perfect. It'll be perfect for the gamer that's doing a Twitch or something like that. Yeah. Color. And I have to admit that the, the only thing, other than not having a headphone jack, the only thing that has me go, I'm not going to buy that mic is lights. <laughs> I, can just, I just go, lights. Of course, it has <laughs> to be a disco. Like, what is yeah, it with exactly. gamers? Right. Sorry. Uh, next question. All right. It was next, per next victim. <laughs> this is the Alex. Alex, go ahead. Uh, okay. So I've got three microphones that are, everyone should know here. They're very popular mm -hmm. in broadcast. They've been around, well, longer than I have. So the first one I've got here, I'm just going to mute my MA50. I've got a Electro Voice RE20 in the uh, the classic sort of uh, I don't know what they call this color olive drab green perhaps. Um, so I've got no EQ or compression. I'm just going to switch to it now. Okay, so now you should be hearing me on the RE20. You'll notice that it has a very controlled proximity effect because of their uh, patented variable D. This is uh, a sound that a lot of people know. 
from uh, radio, and uh, I like these because uh, if somebody doesn't have very good mic technique, they can't really abuse the microphone by getting really, really close. You can see if I go closer, there's an increase in volume, perhaps even a slight uh, increase in sibilance, but it has that very controlled uh, bottom end, which uh, a lot of people really like. Um, it's a little more forgiving on uh, off-access as well, so I can go three inches off-access that way, three inches off-access to the right here, and you can see that I, I'm, I'm my voice overall sounds fairly consistent in overall volume and coloration as well. Um, off access directly off the sides is still quite good as well. Not quite as good as the PR40, but it's also not as uh, brittle, I would say, in the, in the high end. So I'm going to move on to another electro voice mic. We're going to switch to the RE27. Okay, so you can see immediately that, uh, so the RE27, I tried to level level match it here because it has a 6 dB hotter output. This microphone, uh, I've left all the switches on it completely flat. Uh, so this microphone is a lot brighter. In fact, it, it probably would sound a little bit closer to a PR40. It's got that, that upper mid-range uh, boost there in the two, three, four K range there. So it's a little bit more present. Some people like this microphone for increased intelligibility. It really depends on the voice, just like your PR40. It's not going to sound great on every single voice. If your voice is prone to uh, a lot of sibilance, if you have a, a maybe a, a more nasally sounding voice, this is not necessarily the microphone for you. However, it does have a little dip switch, which is really hard to get to. You can roll off the high end by about 3 dB. I'll see if I can actually turn that on right now. I should have had a paper clip with me here. Okay, so now you can see, so we've rolled off a bit of the high end there by about 3 dB, so it is going to not sound as bright. So that is the, the RE20. Again, same variable D three inches off axis to the left, three inches off axis to the right, and it has that control proximity effect, so a bit of a different microphone. I'm gonna to switch to the third microphone. I've got a Sennheiser MD421. Okay, so now we're, we're on the Sennheiser MD421. Uh, this microphone is also very popular in broadcast, uh, also very popular for music production as well. Very common microphone that you see uh, being used for miking toms. They handle low end really well, handle uh, SPL very, very well. I, I tend to use the, if you're going to use this microphone without some kind of pop screen on, on it, I tend to use it slightly off axis because it does not have the same kind of internal uh, protection as the, the RE20 microphones. The, the RE20, the capsule's mounted further back, back into the microphone body so there's about an inch of foam inside that uh before that the air even hits the capsule so it's a lot more resilient to plosives so if you just you turn it off access that seems to work a little bit better i'll go slightly to the front so you can see you're going to get a little bit more sibilance as i talk directly into it so this is just another microphone and it's a little bit of a different sound from the electro voice microphones um, again you know the, this stuff is so subjective so uh, you know, you, you just got to kind of try these microphones and see if you like them. And again, these microphones, you can find them everywhere in every rental house. Pretty much they'll have something you can, you can try out. Well, that's, that's what I got. That's great. Let's go ahead and jump to the next mic. 
Okay, I brought to the table here a an ElectroVoice 635A. It has an internal shock absorber. It was a durable matte satin chrome plate finish. They used to advertise this by hammering nails with it. So uh, <laughs> it is very durable. Uh, in 1965, you could say it was ahead of its time because it nailed the mic drop. It also sold for an MSRP for, uh, let's see, forty nine twenty and sixty five. You can buy it today still from Sweetwater, one hundred and thirty nine dollars. <laughs> That's great. Uh, next question. Next question in from Douglas Carmichael, and uh, Douglas asks: Has anyone tried the Blue Sona? What I like about it is the dual diaphragm mic capsule that cancels vibration along with the super cardioid pattern. There's a link to it. Uh, I haven't. Uh and try the best thing, by the way, if you're, a, if you're a producer, if you can put, it's great that the link is at the bottom. Don't put parentheses around them and leave one space between it. Uh, and if you can do that, then it's easier for us to select it. <laughs> so anyway, um, but yeah, haven't, uh, haven't seen the Blue Sona. This is another Logitech um, approach to the, to the process. So, um, oh, this is that, yeah, this is that square one. This the square mic. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, go ahead, uh, Mitchell. It's uh, of the different class of mic that uh, has a uh, um, some ability to DSP type processing um, that works with software on the computer. And the, uh, this is just me reading it some time ago, uh, so that there's noise reduction and other, other types of processing available that actually is done in the microphone, which is kind of novel. And it doesn't have a. It's still an XLR. It doesn't have a USB out, right? It's just a. It's it's probably its main competitor is the SM7B. I believe it has a. Then. It has a USB because how so. else would it talk to it? No, I think it's, it's, got, a, not, it's got a little XLR at the not. bottom. Yeah, it's an XLR. Then I am totally off and forget what I just said. <laughs> next, next question. Chris Widener from Lafayette, Indiana. The Rode Video Mic Go Two seems interesting for remote kits with this mic and wireless earbuds with, say, an Insta360 link for kits to send out that you don't really expect back seem like a good general combo. I've, I have, I have at one point in time, I was using a video mic go-to. I, I actually bought it in Melbourne because I needed a mic there. And I know you'll be surprised, but you can find a lot of road stuff in Melbourne. Uh, and so, um, so anyway, so I got the mic. I found that it picked up a lot of room. So if you're, on a tr if you're traveling, uh, it, it, is, it picks up everything. So you really need to be in a quiet space to, to make that one work, in my opinion. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace from Austin, Texas, asking, I think George is the only one on the panel who knows the Tula mic. Can you clear up the mystery of how to set it up and use it? Uh, I don't think that George is here. George has had to move on at 9. So go, Mitchell, you have anything real quick? Um, yes, it's a Russian microphone. It's a square about yay big, almost the size of a razor or a, uh, a Zippo. And you push the button on the side of it to sample the background noise in the room you're at. And it takes that sample and uses that to uh, create an algorithm for reducing noise. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, on the 2017 U2 Joshua Tree Tour, Joe Hurley, a U2 front of house, uh, used a Manley Voxbox preamp, even though Bono's mic was a Shure SM58 on an Axiant wireless transmitter. Wouldn't the Voxbox be redundant since the Axiant transmitter has a preamp of its own? Go ahead, Javier. 
The Voxbox is not only a preamp, it has an EQ, a compressor, a deesser, so they can use it for different things, not only to get the level up to mic level, but also to line level, sorry, but also to, to give some characteristics to the sound and control it. So it's very common to use different processors at different stages of your front of house mixing. I just went to look at it. I don't think I ever used a Vox box. I was like, I need one of those. I, I don't know why, but I just had $5,000 Vox looks box. cool. I was like, yeah, it looks <laughs> also, really cool. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, if used properly, a wireless transmitter should um, basically be trans, um, you know, completely transparent. So no, if you want color, then you put color in and then you transmit it. Next question. Jeff Cohen from Miami Beach, Florida. Anyone have or used the Coles Microphones 4104 Commentator's Microphone, now made famous by the soccer announcers on Ted Lasso? Good, Jeff. I'll just add, if if uh, no one has or used it, what, what's amazing to me, and I'm, I'm really curious if it's anywhere even as close to uh, what they portray on this show, but it really is meant, I mean, it's got the actual bar that they put it right onto their uh, bar meant to put on their top lip. And I'm curious if it was really that good at canceling out or, or, or removing all the wind and everything else that presumably an outdoor announcer uh, would have made famous also by the BBC for many, many years. Hey, good morning. Yeah, it's a, it's a microphone that is noise canceling. So it has dual diaphragm or, or I'm not sure if it's a dual diaphragm or a single diaphragm, but um, when ambient noise gets to the microphone on both sides of the microphone, it's completely canceled out. So that's why uh, the distance to the diaphragm is very critical. That's why they have the bar there. And yes, it really does. It really does work. Yeah, I've seen it. I've, I've not used it myself, but I have seen it in uh you know, in a variety of, of environments, and it does work in, incredibly well. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. I think it's also called a lip mic, and you'll see it at F1 races. Yeah, and it, and it really, it, it, and you need it for that kind of race. Uh, next question. David Brady, New York, New York. Have an MXL Genesis 2 mic that stopped working. Is it worth repairing? And if so, any New York City recommendations? Uh, go ahead, Alex. I don't know this mic. I was just looking it up online. It doesn't look like a cheap mic, so I would say if you like that microphone, it's probably worth having someone take a look at it. I don't know anyone in New York. If it's a tube mic, the first thing I would do is check the tube. If you've got an extra one laying around, replace it. If it still doesn't work, I would definitely have somebody look at it. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. I agree. Any uh, microphone with a tube in it is worth saving. Um, I tried Gotham if they're still operating in New York. I don't know. They're a rental house. I don't know if they do repair I, the one that we've used before i think is pro sound uh, pro sound is the com is the one in new york that we've used in the past uh, next question next question from douglas carmichael many game streamers use liquid cooled pcs with active cooling pumps what is their secret for keeping the noise of the liquid cooling system out of their mic go ahead alex yeah, as far as I know about liquid cooling systems, they still have exhaust fans. The the key for low noise with any fan is get a larger fan. So if you can get a 120 millimeter fan and run that at a much lower speed, you should get the equivalent airflow, but it also will drastically reduce the noise. Small fans are going to be inherently way more noisy. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Jeffrey. 
So I do have my machine is sitting right here and it does it. It is liquid cool. I set it up as a gaming machine for streaming. Uh, so some of the things you can do is with a dynamic microphone, if you put the computer on the other side of the microphone, it greatly reduces the amount of noise. And a lot of gamers, if you see their gaming system in the back uh, on table, chances are it's not the gaming machine that they're using. It's just for show. Oh, very good. We ran a little over. <laughs> Sorry if everyone was trying to do it, but if you're watching on YouTube, you got more to watch. I have to admit, I didn't expect to go through so many mics, and so I probably would have. But I, one of the things I wanted to do is a lot of times we start going through these mics and we don't uh, then get to the questions. And so I wanted to open up with a bunch of questions and, and then get to mics um, to kind of set that up. And we'll probably do that more often in some of our ruthless reviews. Um, and uh, so anyway, but great. Thanks to the panelists who brought all these mics <laughs> for us to look at and sound and listen to. So that was uh, really, really, I didn't, I have to admit, I didn't expect that. I was very happy with uh, so many different options for us to listen to. So really well done. Um, and uh, thanks to the producers for all the great questions, of course, and uh, you keep the whole show moving forward. And uh, thanks to the incredible crew on a uh, holiday week, uh, still coming in, making everything happen. It's great. Um, we're beating really Southwest by a mile, sorry. Yeah, we're doing much better than Southwest is uh, th uh, this week. Um, this week, we'll see how it goes. We don't want to. We don't want to step too uh, too lively there. Uh, just a reminder that uh, later today, if you're in the reader workshop, we're going to have the readers uh, for the readers that are getting together. That's at 3 p.m. Uh, uh, Pacific Standard Time, uh, 6 p.m. Um, Eastern Time. Also uh, tomorrow, we get the right camera for the right job. So we're going to talk about cameras and how we use them and what, which ones we use when. And uh, they, of course, Tony Mobley is doing conversations with Tony Mobley tonight. You can get jump into the after hours to get into the behind the scenes, hear it all happening uh, at one time. So definitely check that out. We traveled 91,000 miles today. Lots of questions from all over the world. So uh, really well done there. And that is, uh, of course, 827 million bananas uh, for scale just to keep that all in mind there. Um, all right, let's go ahead and uh, jump into After Hours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna whisper in stereo, so I'll go, whoa. I don't hear in stereo, I don't know, oh, I think, oh my God. That's a lot of bananas. That's so many bananas. bananas. Mm. I'll bring this one in too. I have to have two mics. We gotta start doing graphics for this. So in a mic. Have a graphic pop up and then have a spinning banana. And then have how many times around the earth? How many times to the sun? How many times? Like we just there's so many ways that we can give you image journey image spinning bananas. It's a great bananas. Alright, alright, here we go. To integrate into 